note, for maximum picture quality, it may be necessary to adjust the tracking control on your VCR. They say politics is the most honourable pursuit. Working hard in public office to help shape society in your vision, to make the world a better place for everyone, and to help guide a country, a city, a town, or a school forward to a prosperous future. But I'm not sure I agree. I've seen the people who do those jobs. The most honourable pursuit is to host a podcast. This is Adjust Your Tracking, a podcast where we're on a venture to watch a century of cinema, decade by decade, year by year, and I'm one half of your hosts, Liam Delaney, and my good friend sitting next to me on the virtual screen is... Oliver Jones. And welcome to the show. And today we've got our first guest to the show, actually. Uh, This is a man who, on first meeting, Oliver didn't like... But they soon became no, good no, buddies. No, we're not going there. No, that's not true. It's a true story. It's not true. It's a true story. And I'm glad finally, through this podcast, the truth will come to light. Now I've got Ollie staring daggers at me. <laughs> Hello, my name's Paul Naden. I didn't realise I was the first guest. That's very exciting. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, I'm looking for forward to talking about music and not music, movies. What are we talking about? We can talk about music, baby. We talk about music, <laughs> movies. <laughs> Books, video games, life. Do you remember that, that show when shit. you were a kid? Movies, games and videos. This is that, this is that show. You know what my <laughs> biggest memory of that show is? What's that? The fact Steve that you used Perry to or... audio record it on a oh. cassette and then listen to it. I didn't have a VCR player. <laughs> I had to watch the latest Jim Carrey interview talking about Ace Ventura 2 and how he stuck the... I don't know, what he stuck on his fingers, the papayas, I don't know. Anyway... Oh, continue. <laughs> the um, what a what, what a movie. Called? Gourds. So many, so many Gourds. memorable Gourds. moments. Oh, all the memorable moments. That film yeah. is a, a, a trash heap. <laughs> yeah, but it's a, it's a trash heap that's got Jim Carrey coming out out of a rhino's arsehole, and I'll I'll watch that. <laughs> and there's many more many more films for you, Ollie. <laughs> It's just uh, it's just another classic representation of hubris, isn't it? Like they were, like if you if you listen to anyone talk about the making of the first movie, like they all thought it was going to be a disaster and all their careers would be over, and then they got away with it and they thought, let's do another one, let's yeah. go let's bigger. Go I'm ready. <laughs> How do we go no to problems. a place where there's loads of pets? <laughs> yeah, where do animals live? Where do animals? I live? I know. <laughs> So yeah, do we introduce how we know Paul or or not, or do we just kind of leave that? Paul's a good guy, that's how I know him. Paul's been a good friend of ours for around 20 years, and he acted in many of our films growing up, and he was kind of like, I'd like to say he was my avatar on screen, he was the better looking version of me, the, the more suave, I'd put him all the, in all the action roles, killing zombies, or wearing lycra, or rubber suits. That's, that sounds pretty accurate, but I think you'll find it's pronounced Muse, not Avatar. That's, that is correct. <laughs> you, are, you are the Muse. I do. I, I feel like uh, a lot of my youth was defined by Jones just dressing me up. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> spent spent a lot of time just running about. It was yep. great fun. I, I absolutely loved it. So how have we all been this week? Uh, good. Look what I've got. I've got a thing. Oh. You have to. Is it show and tell? Yeah. Look. Offer, offers Dyke Journal, written look, by look, names on it. Oh shit! It's a book, by the way, In audience. Real. Can you buy oh, yeah. this book for all the viewers? It's a book that you can buy. <laughs> the viewers <laughs> online <laughs> from from real places. You can only buy it online. You can buy it at Archeo Press. 
It is the first edition of the journal, which no one cares about because this isn't an archaeology podcast. <laughs> I, I care because Offers Dyke, I learnt, is super relevant at the moment because of the border between England and Wales, which has been in the news because of <laughs> idiots <laughs> and, yes. and politics, which I'm sure will come up during this thing. So, yeah, that's a thing. It's relevant. It's political. It's about culture. It is. It's techni- it's technically media. These are all things it's that the, listeners of this it's podcast. The way, it's the way politicians take aspects of our world and and turn them and twist them and abuse them and use them for their own means. And that's been happening this week with Office Dyke because Paul's <laughs> watched my Twitter feed apparently. <laughs> <laughs> You're the only person I follow on Twitter, Liv. <laughs> hey. That's it. <laughs> So what? Yeah. You never, Have you, t- been... you never tweet anything. I don't, it's true. I just retweet what Liam tweets. <laughs> oh yeah. And the master feed. So uh, have you been, Paul? You've been good? You know what? It's a really weird time. It's no just shit. it's it's crazy days. But, you know, my little baby girl is nine months old today. She's doing great. Um you know, everyone in everyone in my family is is healthy, touch wood. You know, works good. I've got very, very little to complain about. I have, you know, I'm not being, I'm not being forced onto public transport to go and, you know, be around a load of other people. So lots of things to be thankful for. I had to go to the office yeah. yesterday for the first time in what has it been? Eight weeks, I think. It was really yeah, weird. Yeah. I was just like, um, it was there was three people in the whole office, so and there was just me in in my office alone dealing with stuff remotely. It was a really bizarre experience to be back there. And my plants had suffered. I forgot about my plants and they're just like drenched into little <laughs> twigs, like like begging for water. So I felt really bad about that. That's my week. Always the first victims of any crisis. They are. They didn't like me socially distancing <laughs> from them. Or at least socially distancing them from water was the bad thing. Yeah. I guess it's weird because like I, like, I work from home anyway, so it's really strange and like... Like going into an office would be weird for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so is this is this kind of crazy situation almost like being sort of holed away in a bunker already somewhere and just wondering what's going on in the outside world, like you know what other people are up to, and it always kind of you know it almost feels rude to ask sometimes because obviously my situation I have to kind of shrug and be like yeah it's pretty much the same, <laughs> like <laughs> you know talking and as as well as like you know with me being a self-employed person and like this this whole situation like not really affecting my business and then uh, you know I talked to I talked to friends and family who are like in a different situation to that and it, I just have to kind of sit there going oh man that sucks and just you know trying like trying to empathize and sort of not talk about it too much but you know so, what are you going to so do to our viewers uh, Paul is has a, a like a video game PR company, correct? So was it Future Friend Games? Yeah, yeah, we're Future Friends Games. We do a lot of a lot of PR agency stuff, a lot of marketing things. We've uh, we've also got a couple of um, like games that we're publishing properly now, like as a publisher, which is fun oh, cool. and a big step for us. That is really cool. Um, you sent me yeah. a, you sent me a trailer to the one game that you're working on. It looks really cool. Yeah, it's like it's it's got like a, it's got a super distinctive look, you know, it's all about 
<clears throat> it's called it's called Exo One. It's it's very kind of it's very sci-fi, but it's all about kind of traversing through the environment in a very physics-based way, and like all of the all of the environments are just really beautiful in the way that the movement is designed. You're essentially playing a spacecraft that like goes between like being a sphere to being a kind of disc. Like it's a little bit flight of the navigator. Mm. And you can use like you can use the terrain to like kind of launch yourself, propel yourself. You can use gravity to like force yourself down to gain momentum, and then and so fly is it through how the you air manipulate and... the size of the the disc and the size of the aircraft? Is how you kind of navigate the landscape and solve like get past things and stuff. Basically, kind of stuff? yeah, but it's very it's very kind of freeform. So you have like a, a distant sort of goal, and then it's up to you to find your way through the landscape. And there's like certain certain elements that can like help you do that and there's like a kind of mysterious very sci-fi story but a lot of it is just because like the flow state that you get into with the movement of of the craft combined with just the beautiful visuals beautiful landscapes skyboxes you know all kinds of things from like up in the clouds to like um in this in the sea you know different kinds of different kinds of planets and stuff and it's just like yeah, it's just it's just really nice. This really kind of like zen experience, I guess. Yeah, but also, if fun. you if you really want to push it, then you can like really. Anyway, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna start like selling the game or whatever. But. <laughs> Is it kind of like um, games like Gris and stuff like that? That like more kind of like um, like in a in a way that it looks more artistic in the platform kind of. World. The the way it looks, I'd I'd say it's got like it's got because because it's mostly like natural environments. Mm. I'd say it's got like a very it's it's definitely like a, a level of realism okay, uh, but cool. then it's got this the very kind of hard sci-fi element of the craft itself and also like other structures within it but everything's very like um everything's like very styled in a realistic way there's what's a it, better way of saying that but oh, it sounds what's good it called? it's not like it's my job to talk about video games or anything. <laughs> it's cool <laughs> it's called xo1 uh, and is yeah, it one yeah. one guy developing it it is one guy. This um, is one thing I wanted to ask you. I watched the latest, um, you know, the new Xbox. They had like a trailer for all their new games coming out on the new Xbox. Yeah. And there's a game, is it called Blink? Or something like that, like a first person shooter? Is it called Blink? Is it I'm not sure. There's nothing. There's an old <laughs> there's game first... called Blink. It's called Blink or Brink. I don't know. Is it Brink? I don't there, know. Is, there is a Brink. Brink which is definitely some kind but of. This one is like developed by one guy, and I thought that's pretty impressive if they're doing an Xbox One game. Oh, like... God. Yeah. They're really just crazy. Like, just mad. Like, yeah. It's all like Unreal Engine. Like. He stole like yeah. uh, elements off of the games or, you know, like models or something like that. Stole. Got in trouble. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think. I think you. Wait a minute. Yeah, it's like I don't. I don't think he necessarily like stole anything, but it basically like it uses an engine called the Unreal Engine, which like mm-hmm. tons of games use. Like basically, basically any game with lens flare is probably made in <laughs> in the Unreal Engine. As well as like that for free now until you make over a million until you have a million sales or something. Yeah, yeah. Unreal Engine Four, which is becoming increasingly popular for indie devs, so it's absolutely great because it's basically like it used to be about five percent and now it's zero, so it's just suddenly like. Just you know, exploded. retroactive to like January or something. Suddenly, all these developers, including our two, you know, publishing clients, who now suddenly that's five percent of revenue that they're not going to be giving over to anyone. The reason for that, though, is like that's talking about Unreal Engine four, and they yeah. announced Unreal Engine five. five. Yeah. 
which obviously... yeah so obviously at the same time a lot of indie developers aren't going to have the time and resources to be able to switch over to yeah. ue5 when it comes out but interestingly of course the most popular game made with unreal engine fortnite is going to be migrating to unreal engine 5 which has potentially big ramifications because it could be a total disaster for them like it could be you know by migrating stuff to ue5 that's kind of you know because the the game's starting to mature now like it's got to a certain point in its life cycle where you know it could be that something else comes along that kind of sparks people's interest and a lot of time even if it's like you know on paper it's an improvement these things like just the change will force people away in enough numbers that you know it can kind of help elevate something else it's also anyway, I'm talking, I'm it's talking about this. coming in from the Emperor as well, which is really scary. <laughs> so what was this about the other game then? So the one you were on, I was on about, and like I was saying, they were stealing like... Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, like, I'm not 100% sure, but like I imagine what's happened is basically because it's one person and it looks... Just the look of it is crazy. Like a lot of the gameplay is kind of baked into Unreal Engine. Like it's actually... It's an achi- it's a huge achievement. Like anyone who can make a video game, like is amazing. Like anytime any video game is released ever, that's just impossible. It's a miracle, honestly. Yeah. I was saying the like, worked... making a film is impossible. And yeah. If anyone manages exactly. to complete one, it's it's amazing. Yeah, and I mean, I'm I'm saying this as someone who's worked on like literally hundreds of games now, and I tell you, like anytime anyone a- actually comes out, is it, like amazing. <laughs> like it's just an amazing achievement to be able to do. But at the same time, there's a lot of tools, especially now and especially in the last five years, that have really helped developers create things that are like way more impressive than people feel like they should be Mm. and unreal engine is a huge part of that because you know i joke about the lens flare and stuff but in unreal engine it's way more easy to make something look very impressive graphically than it ever has been before in history um and that's a that's a big part of this fps game and i imagine what's happened is he's he's got a lot of assets from the Unreal store that basically some people it's like a big part of their job like a guy that we've worked with before like a big part of his job is he'll just make Make assets assets, upload them up there so people can buy them off him basically exactly yeah and it's and it's great because the way the way the lighting works the way the material function works it's like how you create stock footage or stock music kind of exactly yeah and we used to do it for so RPG about Maker what, back in the day, make sprites and yeah, just upload. What them license you pay for to how to use these elements and stuff like that? So exactly, yeah, it's it's exactly the same. I think stock footage is a is a great um, a great kind of analogy to it. Where it's just you know it's it's artists that are able to do it, but maybe they don't have like a specific project that they're working on, so they can go make something really beautiful that is like you know uh, often often it's stuff that's quite generic that provides a starting point for people you know so you can buy a lot of these generic assets you know so much of game development is iteration you know you can get these assets and kind of put them in and go okay how does this level look does it all work are the are the sight lines all right does it flow the way we want it to okay now we're going to go in and we're going to paint over all of this generic stuff and tie everything together and have a really lovely consistent art style um in like way less time than we would have been able to otherwise um and that's great. It's great for everyone, you know. It's great for it's great for devs. It's you know, it's if it improves the experience for players, that's great. Um, so, like, if a game is, if they say a game is developed by one guy, does that mean that he does the music, he does the sound? Does it like I don't understand where it starts and ends, or is it like a? I mean, it, usually no. Yeah. Like, it's 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 very. 
it's very rare for like any game of like a particular size or quality to genuinely have been made by one person. And I talk about that because you know in in my company there's like a varying amount of people, but it means we work with a lot of solo devs and we do work for them that is yeah. required yeah. work in order for the game to, to be, be released. Complete. So yeah. immediately it's like, you know, you're talking about a bunch more people. Sound is a great example. You know, a lot of people who are programmers aren't also professional musicians. Like there's not yeah. a huge yeah. amount of, some of them are, some of them are great, but there's not a huge amount of crossover. Even super famous ones, like I think Stardew Valley is a great example. Like the guy, I forget his name, I don't know why, but the, the guy, absolutely amazing wonderful all the stuff i was talking about engines before forget all of that like he made that whole thing from the ground up absolutely incredible achievement nine years totally mad to do it do not do that (laughs) (laughs) even that story obviously a lot of that was pushed on the fact that like it was just this incredible achievement from one person but it's not strictly true um even though he did a lot more than like the average developer would like he still had people helping him with all kinds of things from like especially from the publishing angle which is it is overlooked often i think because it's not it's not rocket science sure. like it's not like nothing nothing that i do in my job is like particularly hard and it's all things that like like for example you can take an average person off the street and you can say to them you know write a short story like a one just a one page story and you'll get something you'll get you know it might it yeah. might be terrible it might be badly spelled it might barely be a story but you'll get descriptions might... and you'll get dialogue yeah. that will join exactly. together to do something yeah and even if it's 100% plagiarized or whatever you will get something but but then by the same token if you take someone out the street put them down in front of a computer and say make a video game what, like what what are they going to do you know <laughs> yeah. Like most people, like some people, like maybe would get as far as like downloading something like Unity or Game Maker or whatever, but like you're not going to get anything out of them. And I think because of that, people think that like people think that 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 those things, and it's the same with like acting as well. You could put anyone in front of a camera and tell them what to say, and they'll you know, and you know they'll they'll be an actor, but that doesn't mean that they're going to be able to do a great performance that really like enraptures audiences yeah. for generations. You know? I think it's the same for when you get um, films that are said to be made by a single person. I think Monsters is a really good example when it was all meant to be. He did this all himself in his bedroom and stuff like that. Gareth Edwards, I think. But like, actually, when you look at the whole film, there's a load of elements that go into that. There's nothing to do with him. He didn't do, all, he didn't do everything. He just did the kind of creative kind of direction of it. Like and yeah, stuff like yeah. marketing, posters, advertisements, um, even presentation, people helping him on editing, people suggesting stuff, music, and then the actors themselves all contribute to a film. It's not just a single person just doing absolutely Absol- everything. Absolutely, like. yeah. It, it comes a question of uh, you, you seeing it right now, you sitting in front of that screen and watching that film is not just the product of that single person's endeavour. Like the whole way it getting to a cinema or the way the getting or even a game getting to Steam is all part of this machine that had to kind of mobilise and had to do stuff so you can get it as a consumer. Like that's is yeah. part of that machine yeah. and it is important. And if that didn't exist, you wouldn't find that, that film. You wouldn't find that game. You wouldn't you wouldn't actually see it. So there is yeah, elements yeah. to that that aren't as I don't know how you how you word it, aren't as kind of um fun, I guess, in, in, in that creative yeah, process, I mean, but they are kind of really important to it. Like, does a film or a game really exist if no one plays it or watches it? I mean, Ooh, it's, if a tree falls in a woods. It's like, yeah, does, does, can you hear a tree fall? 
exactly. I mean, if you if you ask if you ask an indie game developer, they play their own games like thousands and thousands of times during <laughs> development, so they they will tell you it exists. Indeed. But yeah, kind of kind of my point about like you know the different skills and stuff is is a lot of the time those. Do you call them soft skills? Maybe yeah, I those, remember, yeah, those yeah. less those those less technical skills sure. are still skills, and yeah. even if it's the easiest thing in the world, it's still work. You know, it's still work that has to be done. It's still time that has to be done. And even you know, Stardew Valley guy, nine years. Okay, it worked out for him, but that's totally crazy. It's not a sustainable model for anything. And you know, if you're an it's indie developer. Exactly. If you're if you're an indie developer who's going over like you know three years development time, then suddenly it becomes it becomes this thing. Of, and I'm I'm sure you know I don't know as much about movies as well, but it's it's the same with like indie projects. It's like pre-production is going to have to be shorter because everyone needs to everyone needs yeah. to get paid. Everyone's got stuff to do. Production has to be shorter because you can't afford to like rent a million places out. You kind of you know, and then like other other stuff like you know I've I've read that in like but in big productions and stuff it's like they'll hire drivers full time to then like drive to a place to pick up like an actor and like bring them sure. back so they don't have to pay yeah. they don't have to pay the expensive person as much but they pay the cheaper person for like the whole time and things like that like obviously in indie production that's mad yeah. like why like why would why would you do that and i guess it's you know it's the same it's the same with game development as well it's like you really need to kind of balance that balance that like sense of ownership and wanting to do everything just with the just with the practicalities of understanding that like there is a lot of work to be done and stuff takes a lot of time and like i said you know i've i've worked on hundreds of ship games and i work every day with people who have never shipped a single game in their life and it's mad like the things that some people the, the things that I've done a hundred times that someone else like literally doesn't know it exists. Yeah, they absolutely. don't know. Yeah. They don't yeah. know it's. They don't know it's something that needs to be done. Then you tell them it needs to be done, and then they go, "Oh crap, I don't like. I don't know how to do that." And you go, "Don't worry, I do." And it takes five minutes instead of five days. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and again, it's not rocket science, but it's experience, and it's anyway. I feel like I'm sitting here justifying my job, but like... <laughs> <laughs> but it is skills. I it's think just... it's a really good point. I was talking about the other day about yeah. like. Um, the why we classify unskilled jobs in in the country is is, is lunatic yeah. like even stuff yeah. like nurses or care home workers are called unskilled and i'm like i couldn't do that job without incredible training and time and stuff like that that's a skilled piece of work and we have such a weird yeah. disconnect in why we treat a skilled person or what skills mean yeah well i mean we could definitely have a a long conversation about you know like the labor theory of value and how <laughs> you know how that concept was invented by capitalists, mm. you know, mm. they in the in the original Absolutely. capitalist model, like they acknowledged that the labor theory of value was like super important and it was part of the economy, and then someone called Carl something or other said like, oh, you know, this is actually I think this is more important than you're giving it credit for, and then the capitalists went. Oh no, that doesn't exist. No, no, ignore that. It's fine. No, yeah. No, so, so don't now, pay attention to that. <laughs> so now we we have this capitalist, you know, we have this kind of capitalist idea that like you know, stuff happens. Someone has money, and then that person spends money, and then something happens, and then more money happens, and no, no one understands what happens in between. No one under, like no one acknowledges like how you go from like less value to more value because there's nothing you know who can explain that 
You know, it's like magnets. You just can't. <laughs> just can't explain that. So, you what's the bigger, biggest games now? Oh god, do they cost more than like say films to make now? So, say for like example, Last of Us Two or Red Dead Redemption Two. What are you talking about budget-wise for a game like that? I mean, you. They've got to be big. Like the length of them, the amount of assets that've got to be created. They're like, it's like a constant special effect, isn't it? The whole like, it's just, it's got to be worth. I it's mean, got to be more than a film now. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but again, and like I think it's similar to films. You know, like making the thing is only half of it. Hmm. You yeah, know, marketing it's like, is just the other half. Like you know. That's yeah, why, exactly. That's why like, films can't make their money back now because the marketing is probably like the same yep. amount if not more than the actual budget of the film itself mm-hmm. yeah it's the, it's the same with games and you know the the really big studios back themselves into a corner um with this kind of stuff and i think what's interesting if you want to compare movies to the games industry is the games industries had an out where the games industries could move to a model where they said a game isn't a product it's a service sure Sure. And you can't do it. You can't say a movie is a service. Like, how are you going to do a movie as a service? Well, they like, kind of do. That's the you're whole gonna, you're gonna make... this week in, um, about Amazon in the fact that your digital purchases oh. don't actually count for anything. You're, you're, just, you're just hiring that service even though you paid for that film. You don't actually own it. It's just mm-hmm. like you're just kind of yeah. paying for the time to be able to watch it rather than actually buying the film. <clears throat> so I think they're trying yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to play that game. <laughs> but that's but but what I what I really mean by that is like you're absolutely right and I totally agree. And again it, it is it is the same in games as well with platforms platforms like Steam especially. But the the key thing is like a video game they can release you, you can pay your money for the video game and then they can give you a little bit more video game that you sure. also pay for and then a little bit more that you also yeah. pay for yeah. and then a new hat that everyone that everyone yeah, yeah, buys yeah. you know yeah, so there's and then... no dlc for movies no additional content unless you buy the blu-ray or whatever and you've got the bonus features. exactly but they're not and now cre- keep creating new content unless you're george lucas oh unless you're cats and you <laughs> yeah, release exactly. a patch on cinema <laughs> <laughs> day one patch for a movie amazing but yeah that's the thing and now now we're in this we're in this bizarre world where the most profitable games don't cost any money like the you know the business the business model now going back to free Fortnite to again is a great yeah. example. Fortnite free to play, you download it, you play it, you have a great time. But your character model it's a bit boring. It's a bit crap. You know? Yeah, you want like it's a new bit hat. crap. You want a nice dress. Come on. Yeah. It's not. And now like and now it's going crazy. Like now in in Fortnite, it's like they have legitimate like Star Wars events. Yeah. Like actual licensed Star Wars events. You go in Batman. They have they have Batman events, so you can you can go you play Fortnite, and you're like, I want to wear a Batman costume when I hang out with my friends in the, in this game and shoot people. I want to I want to lights. I want my sword to look like a lightsaber when I when I have a sword. And you can pay money for all of that. And there's a hundred million people playing that game. And I, I tell you what, there's not a hundred million people paying money into it. But you know, it's the same. It's the model that worked with Facebook yeah. games, mobile games, all these yeah. things. It's like you get a huge user base, and then you try and you try and monetize and essentially exploit um, certain people who have like more money than sense. Um, and they never really been able just to do that poor impulse films. control. They've never really been able to kind of harness that kind of ability for them. They've tried so much, like multi kind of media games and stuff like that. Play the game, read the comic book, buy this, you know, yeah. and we'll release it in three D, and you can watch it this way as well but i don't think it makes them a lot of money short term but it's never been proven to be a really good business model for them at all and now there's yeah and i mean there's there's other i guess there's other parallels and stuff like you know special edition collector's edition yeah. steelbook you know 
steel but yeah all, all of these things are like total crossovers but i guess that's the the one real difference when when i talk about games as a service yeah. i mean that like it's like it's not it's not a product to be consumed it's a hobby yeah to yeah. to keep to keep going back to you know all these games they want you to they want you to log in every day they want it to become habitual they want it to become an important enough part of your life that spending money on it feels totally justified i guess that's what like really we're trying to get to with disney and marvel films and star wars is that there aren't just stuff that are released rarely that you go and see there's something that continuously exists in your life that the new Mm. every three months every six months there should be a new product of this thing that you love a new marvel film a new a new whatever and it just always drags in the same people because it's part of your life now and it's part of your identity like it's just feeding at the end of the day though isn't it just content but it goes it goes like it it goes away from the the <laughs> element of art versus just content. Yeah. You like, you know, yeah. do you consider video games art or is it a case of some are art, some aren't and like you probably say that, <laughs> that some fun? films are, some films aren't. I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to intention. Yeah. I feel like I feel like almost every video game has has like something you can point at and say like there is subtext there. There is text. There is content. You know, you can analyze. You can criticize almost every game like it's art. Um, you know, there's some people out there who think like games shouldn't be political, but they're all idiots um, because obviously, like, obviously everything is you yeah. know, everything is political. But then I think I got you into know, an online argument about Star Wars being political this week about them. Liam, that... stop! Don't get into online arguments. Just talk to me, and we can agree on. We everything. can just agree and yell at each <laughs> other in just... an agreement. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just get all, just get all hyped up. But I think you know, you talk about a game like Fortnite. Um, there's like, there's an element, obviously, of cynicism to it. I'm not going to get too into it, but like, you know, there was there was like an element of like dodginess to how it came into being sure. in the first place. Beast, but ultimately. They made decisions within that game and decisions that shouldn't be controversial that are like you can like there are different shaped bodies for female characters in Fortnite. And to some people, that's like absolute madness. Like, they, you know, everybody loses their minds. But like, What's like that? People. There was a game and that, that is that, like, um... that is an artist that that is ultimately as well as political. It is an artistic decision because you decide what your characters look like. You decide what world your, your characters inhabit. And it's a very interesting. And again, it's interesting for Fortnite because it goes back to when Counter-Strike started doing uh skins for like guns and and helmets sure. and stuff the ones that were the top sellers were all the ones that basically looked like paintball gear they were all like brightly colored and silly and you know all all of that stuff and like no one cared about like the super like hyper realistic military blair kind of thing and the same you know player and player unknowns battlegrounds versus fortnite it was an unfair fight that fortnite ended up on top of but again you look at those two games you got that realism versus yeah. So of course, like of course, art comes into it because again, it's like it's what attracts people to a thing. It's what makes people want to stay with a thing. And at the same time, you know, um, you know, I'm currently working on projects that are incredibly personal to creators that talk about incredibly heavy subject matter that are definitely, definitely designed to either promoke a promote provoke an emotional response or to you know have a particular message that the that the player can interpret however they want um 
I mean, if anything is art, then video games are. You know? No, I agree. <laughs> like it. some of the games that spring to mind are like, is it Bioshock Infinite with the ending of that game and uh, sure, yeah. Journey and stuff like that. So there's, I <laughs> people got so mad at Bioshock Infinite. Wow, you, nice. you might not know about this. Are you, are you familiar with the term ludonarrative dissonance? Yeah. Um, no. Everyone who, everyone, I tell you what, there were a lot of people in games who weren't, but now everyone is. <laughs> and again, it goes, it goes back to art because a big part of the plot of uh, Bioshock Infinite is like you are a person, you meet another person, you have this like weird kind of relationship that you're thrown together, and you're in like a dangerous situation, and then you as a player shoot someone in the face. Right? <laughs> That's just a thing that happens. And the other character goes, oh my god, you just shot someone in the face. And it's meant to be like, you know, in, in video game land, like in big video game land, that, that's like this huge revelation of like, yeah. oh my god, like I did the video game thing and the video game called me out for being a bad person even though it totally forced me to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? It's models <laughs> no, in video saying. games. Like... Yeah, but then, but then the concept of ludonarrative dissonance is basically like within the story, the character goes, "Oh my god, you killed someone! You're horrible!" and kind of runs off. And then about five minutes later, that you know that character is then like throwing you extra ammo and health packs <laughs> as you mow down like hundreds of of people. And it's kind of like, okay, so what you're doing in the game is does not tie together with the message that the game is telling yeah. you, and that's where the dissonance comes in. And Ludo narrative is the first whatever. remake. Well, the remake of Tomb Raider did that, didn't they? Like, so Lara Croft is like yeah. horrified that she's murdered someone. And then two seconds later, you just <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think like I have like a small am- amount of insider knowledge about that, and I do, I do feel like I feel like there were there were different interests working against each other during the development of that game, and I feel like there were there were several there were like several different visions for that game and they were all kind of thrown into a bag like a bunch of cats and it was just kind of survival of the fittest like what what kind of came out the other side and again that's you know that's part of the creative process and i think it's you know it's one of those elements where game struggles because everything is just so hard to do all sure. the time well, you the- know it's like you can't you can't just like you know you can't just quickly redo one part of it it's because everything touches everything else and it's all you know it's all just like a system and then but then once you've built the system it's like that's a big part of your budget so you go well shit we have to use it for something and now like because we spent that money it's like we don't have enough money to do this other thing properly so we're going to do the thing that we don't want to do but it's going to pad out it's going to pad it out and increase the length and that's <laughs> you know got to give the people what they want right. got to give them the got to give them the game per hour well, no, I find it really interesting. I think that the whole way that video games deal with kind of narrative and the way movies deal with narrative are really are really important because they're really different. Like movies, I, we've talked about this before on the show that like, can you watch movies full of bad people doing bad things and like the film? And like with with video games, it's that argument's actually amplified because you have to be the avatar in that film. I mean, sorry, yeah, in that yeah. game, and it may not allow you to do anything different than the game allows you to do. Yeah, like um, GTA or something like that. Like, exactly. You have like, to do the bad thing. <laughs> and there's also always, inter- like, I know my limited knowledge, but World of Warcraft has that interesting way that because people attack it, they do little things like, I'm going to refuse to kill anyone, but I'm going to make it to top level. I'm going to do it by collecting herbs or doing side quests or, or, whatever, or what have you, like doing those quests that are just, can you pick this up from this town for me? And people choose mm-hmm. making that choice to actually play that game in a way they want to play it rather than doing it in the way the game's designed. 
which is it's the wonderful freedom of actually video games and the wonderful freedom of that system if that system allows you to kind of play that way. Hands up. Uh, aren't there uh, the Metal Gear Solid games? You can actually complete some of those without actually I guess people. technically. Not the way I fucking play it. Because like, I think if it's Metal Gear Solid 3, there's this thing yeah. called the Walk of Sorrow or something like that. Like, I oh, think yeah. it's like two-thirds of the way through the game, you're, like, you're walking through this river. And if you kill a load of people, you see all the ghosts of those people you kill. Whereas if Ooh. you kill no one, the walk is very short and you don't see anyone. So... Quite yeah yeah that's, that's a big thing i think uh yeah metal gear solid definitely also the the thief series i think yeah. and definitely the dishonored series they actually stopped like some games some games give you point when i couldn't not do it without killing people they just put you in a place of the game where you <laughs> had to kind of murder everyone to get out of it and i was like oh, i'm done i got as far yeah, as this yeah. game i wanted to but the the other side of that is there's a very there's a very famous scene in a in a call of duty game where you basically you're playing a terrorist and you and you and your evil terrorist friends walk into an airport and just start firing yeah, automatic yeah. weapons into the crowd. There's no, there's no real uh, like I think I think you can not shoot and it does still, it does still like kind of complete. You know what I mean? I think I can't remember. I can't remember exactly. Maybe maybe you have to shoot, but you don't actually have to like hit anyone. But I can't remember exactly. I'm sure I'm sure someone out there knows, but. Yeah, there's there's elements like that where it's very much like, and there's I mean there's a whole game about that as well, which is very similar to Call of Duty. And oh my god, the name I'm totally blanking on the name, and that's really embarrassing because it's a really famous example of this where the whole kind of, the whole kind of game is basically about like giving yourself PTSD almost, like you're a soldier in this awful situation, and it's all kind of like. You know, it's all a very sort of liminal space where nothing's quite real, but you're like ordered to do things, but you don't have to do the things that you're ordered to do. But it's a video game. So, you know, we're trained to do these things that we're told to do in to do in video games. And then the game like kind of judges you for it. And, you know, you're presented with all these like um, horrifying consequences to, to the actions that you're kind of, you know, in theory choosing to do. But, you know, there's <laughs> there's a level of entrapment involved, you know, <laughs> like when you turn the mirror around to the player and you go like, oh, you, you monster. Look how evil you were. Look at you. Look, yeah. how you do evil <laughs> stuff. How, how could you do all of these things that we told you to do and put you in the situation to do and rewarded you for doing and gave you the tools to do? Um... <laughs> it's like, have you seen that documentary on Netflix? Uh, what's the cat one? Yeah. Oh, about the cat. Yep. I was about to uh, think it up. The, the ending, ending of that of does that. that, yeah. It's so it's so infuriating. It turns back and go, but aren't we all the murderers? Because you like to watch this. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, What's we're it? not. No. We're not at no. all. What's it called? Don't fuck with cats. Don't fuck with cats, yeah. I don't want to make light of, obviously, the the hands that the military-industrial complex has on video games. Sure. Because they're everywhere. Sure, yeah. You know, they're, to- they're totally in there. Same same with big movies as well, yeah. you know. Especially The Avengers is, is essentially, like, Michael you know, Bay. it's essentially PR for the CIA at this point, you know. <laughs> and same same as it ever was. Um same as it ever in was. most cases. So I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna make light of that, but it is it is funny and I feel like especially people in the video game industry give games an easy ride and they say, Oh, it's a young medium. 
it's a very young medium. Oh, we haven't been around for as long as we haven't been around for as long as like movies or televised series or all that. So you can't judge it by the same standards. Forty fucking it's like, years. No, it's just bad. It's just bad. It's been around for ages. Yeah. <laughs> so long. So long. Anyway, What's happening? Don't, don't look. Don't say well, look, movies have been around longer. They should get it better. The movies don't get it better. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's length of time fact, doesn't make a difference. Movies have become more yeah. like video games now, anyway. I think, or older video games, like mm. where I don't know. Aren't, aren't we all becoming video games, Oliver Jones? Don't we all <laughs> live in the Matrix, which came out in this year, 1999, which is the year we're covering this year? No, we can't get there yet. No, not yet, Liam. What First do you want to talk all, about, Ollie? <laughs> have you watched anything else this week? Did before I watch we get into the main... Oh, do you want to ask me that question? What did I watch this week? Yeah, I want to uh, ask you. I, I, I watched Dog Day Afternoon this week. Ah, what a good movie. Yeah, Great fantastic movie. film. I was really loving it. Young Al Pacino can be in every film. That's what I decided. <laughs> <laughs> um, who, plays the, uh, who plays the boyfriend in that? Uh, I'll look it up. Yeah, he's, I can't remember the top of my head. Such a fantastic. Have you seen it, Paul? Do you know what? I feel like I watched it years ago and I don't really remember it. So it's a true story, isn't it? I'm, I'm like the worst person to. I'm like the worst person to be on a podcast about movies because I'm like, yeah, I've probably seen it, <laughs> but I have like, I have no memory of anything. Um, it's Leon, the boyfriend. It was Chris Sarandon, yeah. who you'll know from like Princess Bride. Yeah, it's a Sydney LeMay movie. Yeah, Sydney LeMay. Yeah, was it? It wasn't yeah. his follow up to tw- no. It was years after Twelve Angry Men. Um, but yeah, it's but it's based on bank robbery. Uh, this guy robbed a bank, but he was very nice, and the people started liking him basically. Yeah. And um, <laughs> his appearances in the street and shouting at the cops and yelling about like uh, the unfair like world he was in got him really loved by the public and the crowd and stuff like that. And 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 his attacks on the press and stuff like that. So it's just this really it's a tiny film because it's just it's the scenes are literally the bank, the street, and then later on a bus basically yeah um and it's all told through the main character's narrative about him kind of getting himself in a situation that can't possibly go well but he seems to be kind of like everyone starts loving him for it like and it's it's fantastic it's well shot because spoilers he's he's trying to get them the funds so his boyfriend can have a sex change correct not really um no i thought that's well it's, it's been complicated. a while. His sexuality is complicated in the film, and the, obviously the, the trans woman narrative is complicated in the film because it was the seventies. Um, but like, he's married twice. He's married to um, Leon, and he's married to his wife as well. He has kids with his wife. Um, he seems to be abusing Leon because Leon doesn't want to talk to him. But he seems to be doing this to try and like tell Leon how much he means to him. Um, is Leon involved in the robbery? I can't. No, remember. no, it's no. Leon's just—they drag him out of a. They—they they seem to abuse him. He seems to be in hospital or something like that. I think he might, may, he might have gone to like um, uh, rehab or something. But okay. the narrative between he's gay, but he wants a tra- uh, like a sex change, is the way it's worded. Like the film never calls Leon she, which you would now because that seems to be yeah, what yeah, yeah. they were identifying with. But they sit there. There's this weird mix of not understanding what a transgendered person and a gay person is in the 1970s. So they're just kind of mashing them all together in this kind of, well, they're all that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah. but it's, um, it. I don't think it's the film being that bad. It's actually just the it's the 1970s, and I think and they present Sonny and they present Leon definitely as much more um, 
uh, sympathetic. Like Leon's really the most sympathetic in it, even when like the crowd cheering them and stuff like that is um is all presented really well. It's a really really good film though. It's really worth. Oh, it. I'm just I'm just reading about the real true life story of it actually. Seems very sad what happened in real life. I won't get into that now. <laughs> it really reminds me actually of something I something I read recently. Uh, just just clicked when you were kind of explaining the plot is. I read a thing recently that basically says Stockholm syndrome isn't real. Yeah. It's not a real it's not a real thing. Basically what happened was some people were taken hostage. There was one woman in particular who the concept of Stockholm syndrome was focused, focused on, on because yeah. when it came when it came time I apologize if I'm getting the details wrong, but when it came time for the people who were robbing the bank to leave and go away, she basically decided to stay with the bank robbers instead of going to the police. And interestingly enough, it was the guy who was the police negotiator was the guy who then later retroactively decided that this woman in particular had this syndrome. That hit, like, I don't think it was called Stockholm Syndrome at the time. It was it was named after the particular town that they were in, which is a different town. But yeah, so it was, it was uh, <clears throat> later renamed Stockholm Syndrome. But basically it was this guy who turned up as a police negotiator and the police kind of bungled the whole thing and fucked up so badly that basically this woman was like, I don't want to have anything to do to do with you. S- like, stop. Don't do anything. You're going to get us all killed. Like, yeah. just just back up. Just leave. Just let them rob the bank. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> like, I just don't want to die. And then this, this guy who, who basically, like... You know, ultimately, it was his job to negotiate with these people and resolve the situation, you know, in the best way possible. Kind of got arsy about it and was like, "Oh well, obviously she's suffering from some kind of like delusion or whatever." And now every day, like people talk about Stockholm syndrome as if it's a real thing, yeah. and it's absolutely not. It's just you know, it was the police incom- incompetence. Yeah, and then just and oh, and the the fragility of uh, of a man's ego. <laughs> In a posi- in what he believes to be a position of authority, but actually is undermined mm, by a young woman. That's mm. another thing that I can talk about today. That's, in, that's two things I want to come it? back to. Mm, mm. So, what have you watched this week, Jones? Uh, I watched I rewatched the town with Caroline because she's never seen it before. The Benny it's, Affleck, the Benny Affleck one. Yeah, it's a solid film. It's just a, it's just a decent film. Do you know what I mean? I don't think it breaks new ground, but it's. Uh, but it's enjoyable, and I watched for the first time Yoga Hoses. <laughs> oh dear! <laughs> it's, Next, we're moving on, dude. It's <laughs> I tell you what, if you thought, you know, we both thought that Jane Silent Bob reboot was bad. This that makes it look like fucking, I don't know, Gone with the Wind. It's it's like bottom of the sense. barrel stuff. It's so bad. It's like. It's like he watched Scott Pilgrim and got a few ideas from that, but didn't do it to half of the level that... Well, not even a... I don't know. A fraction of the level that... Edgar I can do Wright that. It's it easy. Out. You just put sound effects on when things happen. <laughs> <laughs> you just cut really fast. Yeah, yeah it's just... <laughs> I just mean, zo- zoom into things and just fast cut. It looked it. all right for a, for one of his films, but it was pretty terrible. Oh. Uh, well, That's a shame. I'm, I'm sorry you had to watch that. Do you know what, mate? Gutted, because this week I watched The Matrix and I watched Into the Spider-Verse and it was amazing. <laughs> Spider-Verse is so good. I kind of don't want them to do a sequel because I think that first film is just perfect as the it first is. Film is perfect. The first film is perfect. Like, not that a sequel can ever ruin... A f- like, it's 
you know what I mean? The first film's always going to be the first film, but I kind of like the fact it's just special. Just And I can't really say that. There are about 15 other Spider-Man films, to be honest, so it's not like I really <laughs> moan about it. But uh... Yeah, but it's what makes it so special is the fact that it takes that Spider-Man kind of mythology and it does, it does to the Spider-Man mythology in what the, my favourite comics always do with Legacy. Like they they just treat they don't treat it as like this singular little narrative in like this person's life. They they draw the camera out and go, but look, this is actually what you're part of. Like and that's my that was my favorite stuff about nineties comics because like nineties comics, especially DC, had got into a problem where all their char- old characters were too old, so they basically went shit. We need loads of new characters, and mm. and writers started coming on who didn't tackle that character in just this myopic kind of look. They tackled this character as part of this huge legacy of something really important. I think doing that now at this stage with cinematic Spider-Man is really cool, really important actually to make sure that it keeps going forward and allows just a complete... It allows us to keep experimenting and playing with what Spider-Man is or how we write Spider-Man stuff. And I think that was a really important step forward. There's rumours that they're going to put the the three live-action Spider-Mans in the next one apparently. Because I think ah, they did... Um, Toby Maguire, the, come back. Yeah. I, I'd see him again. I'd happily watch him put that spandex suit on again. Um, I was watching I, him. No, go on. You were what? I was, <laughs> That's the end of the sentence. I was watching, I was watching him. No, I was... I, yeah. I, um, uh, my favourite thing about the Spider-Verse film is what the fact that it was Toby Maguire was the main Spider-Man, but they didn't tell you that. Like, that all the scenes they, mm. they cut was stuff from, from Spider-Man 2 and things. And I, I really liked how it could have actually served as a boot a reboot of the spider-man world from the Tobey yeah. Maguire films i thought that was really smart and, and really it made me kind of it made me kind of feel good because it was something you know i love spider-man too i love i love that era so it was really cool for me to see that echoed in that way i mean mm. just purely from an animation standpoint it's just mind-blowing and it's mature uh, as fuck yeah i had to, i had to buy the french version of the film because it came with a 3d uh, disc on it and oh, I'm not a fan of 3D films, but this film in 3D, I can't even tell you, man. It's it's just mm. a whole other level. It's it's incredible. Did we watch it in 3D? Is... No, because no. you can't see 3D, so we watched it in <laughs> in Tood. <laughs> Tood. I mean, for for me, like I think the I think the obviously just for me, like as as a film, I think the the story aspect absolutely. I totally agree. Like looking at looking at it as a legacy thing because it is and we should like that's that's the con the context that it exists in you know it it really brought a fresh take on it but then again with the animation style as well everything about it to me is a movie of like you know really like in terms of spider-man movies we're we're still talking about one of the biggest intellectual properties in the world Mm -hmm. and to see the the bravery and the confidence where they really like, and it's just that to me, it makes me laugh that it was up for the Oscar for best animated film in the same year as The Incredibles 2. I love The Incredibles. I think it's yeah. great. I absolutely love it. But you put those two films together, it's laughable that yeah. they're like even nominated for the same for the same award. And the fact that it was The Incredibles 2, <laughs> like it was a sequel, but that that's what I mean about like, I did, uh, I did like Spider-verse. that. I like that sequel, but it is pretty much just the reverse of the first film. But I was happy enough with that, though, for The Incredibles too. That is, well, but, not every film has to not every film has to stand up and be kind of like like groundbreaking. 
Like, yeah. but Spider Man was that, so that's what's funny. It's, it's when like, when you put them together, and actually, you were saying about the bravery to do that with such a huge property, which absolutely because it wasn't meant to be a cinema release; it was meant to be just getting hidden on like some DVD release and stuff like was that it? until until people started seeing it that it was coming good. But actually, Phil yeah. uh, Lord Miller got onto that project after being let go from the Playmobil film, and the Playmobil people <laughs> wouldn't trust them to take their property. <laughs> Like, and do something really cool with so it. So they went from Lego to Playmobil. Yep. They got fired from Lego, not to do number two. Like, and then they Did they not to... do number two? No, no, no. And then they oh. like they didn't trust... Like, these properties had, didn't trust them to do something. And then they made this, like, Oscar... Star Wars didn't like. trust them either. I might be getting that little wrong. It's, at least it's one of the... No, it's one of the directors, not Miller and Lord of Miller. One of the directors was doing Playmobil and he... And he came off to do Spider Man. I can't remember his name. Yeah, because but... because they just produced or wrote it. Didn't yeah, they? Um, yeah, they kind of. Yeah. The, the thing I was going to say to you, Liam, is you could you you probably thought you saw it in three D because a lot of people thought they saw the three D version just because of the way that the the split RGB yeah, was yeah. in the film and stuff like that. And yeah, a lot of people yeah. didn't understand the style they were going for for and just thought, oh, but I got walked into the wrong screening. I what just were you going to say about? I the... mean, especially with especially with that big final sequence where everything just goes goes haywire, just goes totally nuts. Like, and I, well, quite... I, lo- I love stuff like that because it's just like, and it's it's funny. I, I think part of the reason I watched it this week is I think I was talking to you about it this week, Liam, mm-hmm. about the idea of like, you know, the Matrix. We watch it now, and like, it, you know, there's there's elements of it that are a bit cheesy, but the Matrix totally redefined like how people redefined, think about action in movies. Yeah, but that's that's what I said after I watched Into the Spider Verse. One yeah, of my friends asked me sure. how it was because I went to the cinema and I said to them, I was like, I was like, this is this. If there's any justice in the world, it should redefine how people think about animation in the same way that the Matrix redefined how people thought about action. We brought it um, up when we talked and about he, he laughed Bloom, at me, but um, uh, the animated yeah. film we did this this miniseries because it's it was one of the only examples I could think of big studio like using animation in a way that wasn't just you know treated as a genre for kids. It was actually just using it in yeah. a way that animation can only be used for, and that's what was really smart about that. Anyway, we should move on to the fact that yeah, this is a miniseries when we're trying to we're we're, we're making our way through the nineties, and now we've made our way to the end of that miniseries, nineteen ninety nine. Uh, the dawn of the millennium, um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like nineteen ninety nine is one of those years that are in kind of film mythology, basically of a year that just it was unbelievably good in in the film output and unbelievably kind of powerful actually in the films it's made. We've already mentioned the Matrix, which I think we could honestly spend ten podcasts itself talking about the Matrix. Um, it changed the world, but it and and even after it the way that its narratives can be looked at differently and the way it's changed and morphed through those years is still really important i mean it's getting it's i guess they're not shooting at the moment but it, we are getting to see a new matrix come up in the next few years i think well. the matrix got a bad rap for a while afterwards though just purely for the fact that people copied like i don't think people took what was really great about the matrix they just took it on a surface level and just took the flipping bullet time yeah. and then trench coats or yeah. leather <laughs> clothing and they didn't actually take away from it what actually made it incredible what made it work for people and what made it sing yeah. to people and what made it like really people think about it constantly that whole like yeah. matrix syndrome is that what they used to call it when um people people gone to see the film and decided they were now living in a in a kind of matrix world and it's a bit like people yeah. who saw Avatar and they're obsessed. Was, they yeah, wanted yeah. to live in yeah. they wanted to live in Pandora and shit like that. 
the 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 matrix syndrome thing i think is super interesting because for me personally like i think a big part of the reason that was a thing is because actually watching that movie was the closest a lot of people have ever come to class consciousness probably Mm. probably (laughs) and i think that like it's such an easy message isn't it because it's like what if you've been lied to your whole life yeah what if what if your existence as an individual is meaningless because all you are is a battery to power this horrific, unfeeling machine that seems to only actually really exist for the purpose of, like... (laughs) (laughs) It's like it doesn't seem to have any other agenda other than, you know, controlling people. And the the parallels are so easy to, you know, to things like Brave New World and 1984. and, And that's why I think people looked at it and were like, oh my God, man, it's like you know what if what if it is true and i think so many people were just like they were just a step away it's like okay that's the sci-fi but what does it say about the real world like how does the way that you feel about this movie like what does that say about your relationship to power it's it's really funny that the two of the angles that come out of that is the 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 darker side which is the red pill side which they take the wrong message from that kind of that kind of scene And they 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 yeah. call like red pilling is a bad thing about like, but they think they're being like progressive in their ways. But also the fact that now it's read as such a strong trans narrative that whole film is, um, especially because it was made by two trans filmmakers, and they might not have been realizing they were putting these narratives in. But I, I'd recommend um, Emily Vanderwerf's um, article in Vox about this because it's absolutely spectacular. But like the the whole push through of it's about reclaiming your identity it's about deciding who you are and and taking that narrative forward and even the fact that agent smith dead names uh, throughout the entire film that's him trying to reduce um neo's power in the film and trying to and trying to cut him down um is 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 spectacular the way that that really feels strong watching it and it feels really important still and then it's, it's it's incredible the Matrix does that the Matrix you know out of all it, films. It's just crazy how your subconscious can work that they wrote a film not realizing what they were. I, I mean, bet, I guess they were working through some stuff in their head probably and stuff yeah, comes but out. They, you know. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess like because it it feels like at the very foundation it's an examination of like an individual's yeah. relationship to power, yeah. and of course part of that is you know gender identity is sexuality like all of these things you know they're they're all vectors by which we are oppressed you know so i think it's you know to me it's not it's not surprising that those things are like readable within it yeah yeah totally Um, but yeah it is it is interesting how different different people's minds kind of arrive at at places i love it and it's quite funny actually talking about uh, trans narratives again my favorite film of the entire year is um being john malkovich which yeah, I was going to just mention ooh, just a spectacular <laughs> film again, like and and dealing with that same sort of stuff in a in a in a kind of narrative way that I'm not totally sure other films have ever done or even got. Well, to yeah, the because core it's of. got the whole sub subplot of when uh, Cameron Diaz uses the body and mm-hmm. things and like she's that. She's discovering her own gender identity through through yeah, that yeah. as well, and 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 preferring to live that way and seeing that through. It's such um, a good film. Do you know what it was? Um, it's Charlie Kaufman, his name isn't yeah. it? Who wrote it? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. yeah, I I owe I owe him so much because I stole so much of his work <laughs> when I was uh, well borrowed was influenced by so much of his work when I was when I was at university, along with along with a bunch of other people, obviously. But just a just a spectacular way of looking at the world, just really like showing 
the power of film as a narrative. Yes, yeah. You know, being being able to like visually, uh, <clears throat> like visually tell these narratives in a way that like you'd you'd struggle with in in any other medium. Um, in doing to be, the same to way, be able to do that and those those are things again similar to the matrix like, <laughs> like those are things that that's that's to me is where is where film is is at its best like when it couldn't be it couldn't that's be anything else one of my like adaptation for me is is is, is a masterpiece by him that him yeah, taking yeah. that book and turning it into a narrative film in a completely different way than anyone could ever expected yeah. anyone to take a take a book and i think it's captivating in a way that i find hard to get other films like do the same stuff really i was gonna say uh, didn't boys don't cry come out this year as well yeah yeah it did the yeah, another, another another great trans story yeah which um is um wonderful film actually boys don't cry it's a horrible film though it's hard to watch hey we're, we're skipping the greatest film of this year though um the phantom menace <laughs> uh, how excited were how? you though how on a like i know i was very excited for this film and the fact that me and liam got told off in the cinema for lightsaber fighting with our um you know the cinema magazines that you could you got like as you, as you walked in telling you like the new releases i know we roll we rolled those up into lightsabers and we got told off for uh fighting with each other in the i don't remember that aisles. i do i don't remember anything i mean to to be fair you've done that every single time we've been to the cinema together <laughs> yeah, no true. matter what movie it was well which was ollie ollie throwing like uh, magazines at me as batarang so it's like different. <laughs> I cried at Paul after we saw The Dark Knight. I was like, it's so good. It's so amazing. Oh, God. I'll tell you what, that was, man, that was an experience. Well, watching me cry. No, I've seen you cry loads of times. <laughs> no, it's like... That's not true. Well, he doesn't cry. <laughs> no, no. I think, I think, like, a big part of that for me is, like, as someone who's always been, like, a bit into nerdy stuff, like, not so much into the comics, like, as much as Jones is, but always kind of, like, had one foot in that with, like, you know, playing war games and being into fantasy literature and, and all that kind of stuff. I think just, like, going and seeing Batman Begins was huge for me because it really felt like it just... It was just so, like, straight-faced. It was like, we're, we're taking this seriously. And Batman Begins, I thought was great. And I went into The Dark Knight, even after seeing the trailers and stuff, I was kind of like, it's probably not going to be as good as Batman Begins. <laughs> like, they probably like they probably used up a lot of their ideas, and, you know, and now it's just going to be like, oh, whatever. Do you remember and the then, controversy you know, just... of, of Heath Ledger's casting as well? Do you remember how just absolutely like just rabid ridiculous. people were yeah. this this how dare this this young sexy guy be the be the joker and and but the they're doing it again to, Bat- to pattinson aren't they they're doing it again to yeah. him now which is mad because that guy like i mean <laughs> okay act. okay twilight fine so like what? he did a he did a series of movies that you don't like okay he's really good in twilight. when he was but like 20 is, he's really good know. in twilight so <laughs> the first one's all right i didn't mind the, it. the third one's, one's okay it's fine it's just like you know the movies the movies for young people like, 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 it's, it's fine so but like it gets it gets way too much it gets way too much hate because it was popular with a demographic that a lot of movie nerds don't identify yeah. with. Let's be honest, you know that's why that's why it gets like the hate that it gets. Basically, saying um, like I was thinking about Heath Ledger because this is Ten Things I Hate About You came out in 1999, which yeah. I, I watched yeah. it this week actually, which I watched it with um, a bunch of friends and they got annoyed at me yelling smooch constantly at the screen. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I can, he's wonderful in that film. He's like, and you can, all those elements of how he um, manages to kind of, I don't know, take over a screen and dominate his presence and stuff like that. And you can see it from the very first thing, 10 Things I Hate About You, to Brokeback, to kind of, to like uh, Dark Knight is all there for him. And the fact that people couldn't yeah. see that is ridiculous. But as, as you say, people aren't even seeing it with Patterson. And you can see Patterson I in think... that good time and stuff like that and see how, how much he can yeah. he can absolutely be charismatic and dominant. The lighthouse. And... and the lighthouse, absolutely. yeah. And I, I mean I don't want to down I don't want to downplay like even though Heath Ledger as the Joker was obviously brilliant, I think it's important not to downplay like how much Chris Nolan had a hand in that as well. Like oh, yeah. Know, I think like so so much of it was already on the page. Like if you look at if you look at like the the decisions that Heath Ledger made as an actor, obviously they're great. Mm. But, like, he didn't walk into a room and just say, I'm going to make this pencil disappear. And everyone was like, oh, my God, what's he going to do? You know what I mean? Like, it was all it was all there. The construction, the power dynamics, the way the way the plot is driven through the through the kind of nihilistic nature of everything. You know, all of this, the thematic elements of it. That was all. That's all there. That structure around him that allows him to really kind of flourish in this role. Well, Ledger very much did the kind of like Johnny Depp thing. You know, like how for pirates he yeah. based his performance on um, what's the Rolling Stones guy? Uh, Thingy. Thingy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I know. What you mean. He's in one. He's in one of the pirate movies. Keith. Keith. I can't remember what it's called. Anyway, um, <laughs> have you seen? Have you seen the, the Tom Waits name? interview from the seventies where he's like on an Australian chat show and he's like completely pissed? <laughs> no. watch that no, video and you can tell yeah, that yeah. Ledger based his performance on that Tom Waits interview because the, his inflections the way he acts his sounds he's that's where he's channeling in that film you can really tell I have a growing level of popularity uh, throughout the uh, intercontinental United States uh, <laughs> Japan and uh, I travel extensively in Europe as well mm. let's wind the clocks back a year these Cops and lawyers wouldn't dare cross any of you. I mean, what happened? Did your, your balls drop off? I, I love him even leaning into the prosthetics because it made it difficult for him to kind of speak um, yeah. without yeah. kind of sounding kind of like he had the prosthetics. So he just lent into it. So you get that kind of from him yeah, because he's, yeah, he's meant yeah, to be totally. dealing with these internal scars all the time. And I think it just works so well. Um. What else? Really does. What else came out this year? So we've so much. So much. I mean, it's it's Blair... it's ridiculous. Okay, thing. what about what about the the long term influence of the Blair Witch Project? Because that was huge. Like even in even in ninety nine, like this year for movies, even in ninety nine, it was well, at the time it, the Blair Witch Project was along like one with of the most along with Matrix, things. Blair Witch, along with Phantom Menace, frankly, but along with uh, with them, Blair Witch is one of those films that changes the film industry. Um, Blair Witch changes horror forever. We're still we're still dealing with what Blair Witch did, in the fact that such a good point. You know, I don't I don't really watch horror, so that's probably why. I thought that question was more interesting. Didn't the Cannibal Holocaust though? Didn't that? Didn't wasn't that a found footage film though as well? I guess that was found footage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like nothing built up Blair Witch the way that did. That it popularized found footage in a way that oh yeah. is is just remarkable. It popularized that kind of underground marketing of stuff because they had the they were the first film really to have a website that people had to flock to. So they had websites that came up months and months and months before the film came out about pushing this legend of the Blair Witch and things. 
uh, the kind of theory about the way he treated the actors as well the fact that they aren't really acting they actually were scared on set and they were terrified and they were just given like they were given like um, instructions by notes and and stuff like that in the field means that the performances were heightened and stuff and all that stuff and the fact that it cost nothing for them to make and made billions all kind of comes together to make this that yeah ruins the film industry it doesn't ruin it but it just it just means that everyone is trying to replicate it continuously and I think because of that people get fed up with the Blair Witch people say the Blair Witch isn't very good but I think it really holds up I, I think even watching it now it really works as a horror film I think it has every element in it still I don't like I mean the sequels were awful but I think I think they, they had something right with the Blair Witch I'm just looking at a list of all the films that came out this year like it's insane Audition Man on the Moon, uh, Green Mile, uh, Girl Interrupted, um, Fight Club. Another film, Fight Club, that ruined the world, yeah. (laughs) Galaxy Quest. (laughs) Galaxy Quest is wonderful. Toy Story 2, Talented Mr. Ripley. Talk of filmmaking choices. Talented Mr. Ripley is my second favourite film this year. Oh, The Iron Giant came out, which is my favourite animated film of all time. Brad Just Bird, we talked to Incredibles already. Yeah. And I enjoy it. It's, yeah. it's wonderful. Best Superman film ever made. Yeah. Superman. Another one. Influential films. American Pie. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Which has a yeah. relation yeah. to today as well, I guess. Because it's one of the actors is in that. That's true. Oh, shit. And I'd say they pretty <laughs> much play the same part. <laughs> pretty much. And like, Mostly. And um, Sixth Sense came out this year as well. We're talking of horror films that change the world. Yeah. Like, and, like the the idea of a twist ending was what people tried to do forever after the Sixth Sense. Have I, have I, have I told you how I ruined the Sixth Sense for myself? Um, for yourself, I don't you have. I think, but go on. I don't. I, I'll, I'll say it for the podcast quickly. But like, I for some reason, I do not know why. I don't know why. I didn't work it out. I'm not a wizard. I don't know M Night Shyamalan personally. You're not a wizard. For me, but for some reason. For some reason, when I went in to watch that film, I thought that Bruce Willis was a ghost and that was the point of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so, you, so confused. You finished and went, yeah, that was, yeah, that was, that was the point. <laughs> I, no, it? Paul is a genius. I was like, oh, I was like, oh, it's not, oh, it's not a ghost. Oh, no, maybe he is. Oh, no, but it's not. But what's happening? I remember going around to Paul's once and we all sat down. We watched Cars. None of us had seen it. It just came out on DVD or whatever. And Paul, like, within the first few minutes, was like, right, this is how it's going to go down. This is going to happen. 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 Watch. And then it just played out exactly as Paul said. <laughs> And I was like, my wife gets my wife gets so annoyed with me about that. Like, <laughs> but it's just, I mean, that's not hard to do, is not it? For like, cars. if you if you wonder <laughs> exactly, like it's it's a kids movie, and like, I mean, like if you're like if you're aware of tropes and no, story know, structure, you know what I mean? Like, it is it is funny. Like, some it's it's a good party trick sometimes with people <laughs> who aren't as into that kind of stuff, like to be able to do it, and they're like, oh my god, like, guess you banned from. But parties. how did you do it? It's like. Because capitalism has destroyed any kind of <laughs> creative <laughs> endeavor. Um, but yeah. Okay. So this. So yeah. As I say, we could talk about 1999 forever. We could just do a whole podcast series dedicated to that. There is, oh, yeah. yeah. There is a podcast that just does films from 1999. <laughs> um, totally. I didn't. Man on the Moon got mentioned, and I didn't even say anything. And that's that movie has been a huge influence for me, like personally. So bullshit, bullshit. Yeah, my line. Bullshit, bullshit. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, so this week we're approaching the end of our mini-series. We've gone throughout the whole 90s and we're down to 1999, as we've been saying, and this week's Alexander Payne's election. In the nation's capital, a new leader has found a place in the halls of power. But her story began in the halls of high school. We'll move on now to the presidential race with three candidates running. The first is Tracy Flick. One thing that's important to know about me is that I'm an only child. My mom is really devoted to me. She likes to write letters to successful women like Elizabeth Dole and Connie Chung and ask them what advice do they have for me, Tracy, her daughter. The next candidate for student body president is Paul Metzler. I just don't think somebody would do something like that on purpose. I think you did it. And if you want to keep questioning me like this, I won't continue without my attorney present. And do not often speak with you and ask for things. But now I really must insist that you help me win the election tomorrow because I deserve it and Paul Metzler doesn't, as you well know. The final candidate, sophomore Tammy Metzler. I'm attracted to the person. It's just that all the people I've ever been attracted to happen to be girls. You should stop her. She's not qualified. We can't both run, can we? I mean, we're brother and sister, can we? Tracy and I are totally in love. In love? Yeah. So is this a moral situation or an ethical situation? When I win the presidency, that means you and I are going to be spending a lot of time together. <laughs> Cast your vote for Tracy Flick next week. You won't just be voting for me. You suck! You'll be voting for yourself. Who knew how high she would climb in life? I had to stop her. Excuse me! Will you please be quiet? Election is an adaptation of a book by the same name, and it's a black comedy that rolls around the election of a student body president in a high school. Film stars Matthew Broderick, who plays Mr. Jim McAllister. He's a really popular high school civics teacher, and he takes it on himself to sabotage the campaign of Tracy Flick, who is played by Reese Witherspoon. She's an aggressively overachieving and driven student who he really personally dislikes. In order to do this, he backs another candidate, Paul Meltzer, played by Chris Klein. He's a really simple but privileged student who is a very popular high school quarterback. And the whole film then revolves around how that election plays out. I will say when... <laughs> I will say when when I watched the trailer for this movie, I did have a certain amount of expectations because I think it's like one of those weird like old timey American ones where it's like they talk about the plot of the movie. Yeah. But I think because obviously they're trying to they're trying to sell it through the trailer as something quite familiar. So then yeah. I had this I had this idea of it. I was like, okay, so it's like a kind of Gen X teen movie and it's going to be this like adversarial relationship between the two people and like in a lot of ways like i feel like somehow the marketing kind of really undersells what this mm, movie is agreed so yeah, this film um actually didn't make much of an impact when it came out it was a flop it really didn't it didn't make a lot of money at all it kind of well, got buried i was in looking so the budget said it's weirdly it says it's between 8.5 million and 25 million that's quite a a difference <laughs> That's Matthew Broderick's coke habit. Only made seventeen million, I think, at the box office. So yeah, but it it got good reviews though. It got fantastic reviews, um, and since then, its legend has just grown. Uh, it's become a big cult classic, something that people bring up every single election cycle. Uh, the characters in this film become kind of stereotypes that people um, shit out memes about and stuff like that. Um, it's it's one of those films that's managed to sink itself into the cultural kind of zeitgeist a little bit especially in America more than over here I'd say but um I was really interested in going back to that and I think I think the 
legacy. I think the film reads different in the nineties than it does watching it now. But I mean, what did you think of the film? Uh, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic, and I've watched it twice since. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I kind of made a mistake on the last podcast. I, only, I was in a grumpy mood last week, and the film we watched, uh, which was uh, last, no, what was it? Uh, last days, last of, days disco. of Disco. And um, I only watched it the once, and I, I was in a bad mood, and I just didn't kind of get anything out of the film. And then chatting to Liam about it, um, I kind of thought, oh, I want to give this another go. And I watched it again, and I actually enjoyed it a lot more, and I kind of got a lot more out of it. So cool. I thought, I'm going to watch this twice, but... I got every well. I didn't get, get everything out of the first viewing, but I just loved it from the first viewing anyway. I could see it when watching it through mm. that it might be one of those films that I could easily keep watching, and stuff then just becomes kind of like canon to me. That some of the lines just become something that I know is coming up, and I can quote and stuff like that. I kind of got that impression from the film. I mean, <clears throat> for me, for me, the big thing watching it is like it's great. It's great to see something that is so relevant still decades after it was made and i think it's interesting because i feel like having watched it so recently i feel like i've seen i've seen the film in like i've seen the 2020 version of that film but there is also a 1999 version of that film that i that i haven't seen and can never see because i I can't go back in time and see it then and i do think like i think it's very important when talking about a film like this that feels so relevant and so current now, it's like, okay, well, why did it feel... Why did it also feel relevant then? Yeah, I wanted to give some maybe, context to maybe, that, maybe it didn't feel as relevant. Maybe that's why it wasn't such a big success right away. Like, maybe it needed a little bit more time to kind of, like... To percolate. Percolate and, you know, to people kind of... For people to kind of get their head around these ideas. Because I guess, like, you know, from my imagination of an american perspective in the late 90s in the political climate of like the end of the clinton era well that's the thing this film comes you know, out two years about... after the monica Lewinsky scandal and all you need to know yeah. about that is that it's called the monica Lewinsky scandal not the president <laughs> had sex with someone with his, with his intern <laughs> scandal like, um and yeah. this film is very... the, pre- the president's massive abuse of yeah. power scandal. <laughs> and the very yeah. fact that that this is written in that climate um, is kind yeah. of sewn it's sewn into this story, um, very much so in the treatment of like uh, uh, Reese Witherspoon's character, who I think in the nineties was displayed as the villain in this film, really. But I think watching it now, she very much isn't, or at least she's a hell of a lot more sympathetic in the in my reading of the film. And I think that has at least the way that that film's changed and percolated over the last 20 years i think people have started reading that and it's not actually i think that actually is the audience reading of it i actually think it's sown into the seeds of the film itself and we're talking about like um like um uh different narratives earlier and the kind of uh, dissidents in narratives and stuff and i think one of the complicated mm-hmm. things about this film is that it's full of dissidents that's the whole point of the film that you've got all these unreliable narrators coming out of the film who are you know, not saying what they actually think in their heads. They they are completely unreliable in the way they talk mm-hmm. about it. The way Matthew Broderick talk, talks about how he feels about life and how he feels about other characters is not his actions in the film. And I think my favorite, one of my favorite lines is when uh, Reese Witherspoon is just like, "It didn't bother me at all." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 totally, totally. And like even the couple st- of film, Matthew Broderick has one of those as well, isn't it? When I mean, I think like, and I totally get what you're saying, Liam. But I think for me, the interesting thing about it is like, you like 
maybe I'm I'm wrong about like what what unre- unreliable narrator really means, but I I think that like all of the voiceovers and stuff, it's like if like if they are lying, they're only lying to themselves. That's what like, I, I mean. do think they That's what I, I mean. exactly. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Because I do think they absolutely believe everything yeah. that they say, like on the voiceovers. Oh, I absolutely even, think um, that like Matthew Broderick's character thinks that he is the victim in this film, and I absolutely believe that yes, he thinks yeah. like he was in the right the entire time. I think that's absolutely what he believes, and I think because the film presents you as him as the narrator, I think people can leave the film feeling that. But I think when watching it back now, it was like, oh no, that's not what it's doing. Even the. I think a really good example of this is right at the start. We'll go through the film. We'll, we'll bash through it, but right at the start, when it's showing um Reese, Reese Witherspoon's um abuse, uh, with the way that the teacher yeah. abused her, and the mm. narrator's coming through Reese Witherspoon's herself, telling you about how she had agency in it and how she was kind of um mm. into it and loved him and stuff like that. But all the oh, it's actions, gross the way he grooms. Yeah, her all the actions on screen are absolutely yeah, him, him grooming her and like to an absolute T. Like he separates her out, reduces her kind of self image, and and right before they actually go have sex, she's sitting in that kind of his living room of his house with the kids toys with all the toys. She, yeah, she's got like a little root beer like a child, and then they go off to like have sex, and it's just like that was so horrible. But the narration was unreliable because the narration was there with Reese Witherspoon's character telling herself that she was she was in control of this and it was her idea and stuff. I love how one of the the incidences at the beginning sets up the end, which you kind of forget by the end. So it starts off with uh, Matthew Broderick's character. He's like, he, he he wants to make life very comfortable for himself, doesn't he? So like, he's got his lunch for food, uh, food and he opens the fridge and it's full. So yeah, so he throws throwing away people's food to make life more comfortable for him so he yeah. can put his food in there. But that's yeah. exactly what he does to Trace. He throws away her dreams just to make life comfortable for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and I think, I think it's a really like interesting discussion to be had like what exactly about tracy makes him uncomfortable because one yeah. of the things i was really surprised about this movie going into it like i mean obviously there's the very shocking moment you know with tracy's abuser dave i've got his name written down here like when like obviously the big kind of shocking line from him that makes you go oh my god but also this kind of like focus on this like psychosexual fixation at the same time as like being annoyed with her and everything and I think that's one of the elements that to me really differentiates it. Like in the nineties, I feel like this was meant to read as Matthew Broderick is kind of like this sad, like clown figure whose like life is falling apart. And it's meant to be this almost like Schadenfreude thing of like, Oh, isn't he silly? Like, Oh, he's like, he's, you know, the master of his own downfall and everything. But I think now in 2020, Matthew Broderick to me, plays as a very scary dangerous character particularly in the scene where i think it's meant to be playing as them like sparring against each other where he essentially he essentially blackmails her by saying that he'll make public oh yeah uh, like the fact that she was a victim of abuse which is an incredible character moment for tracy because of the like unreliable narrative thing where like tracy flick is in a lot of ways, I think she's an incredibly multifaceted character. Like as a character, I think she's really interesting. Yeah, I do, but she's definitely a victim in many mm. ways in her life. Yeah, in yeah, many, in many, in many ways. ways yeah. Like her, her awful, awful, overbearing mother, mother yeah. who does not, who does not know how to empathize no. with her daughter at all. Her a father who abandoned yeah. her. You know, one of the people 
you know, one of the people in a position of authority over her, you know, sexually abuses her. And then now she has Matthew Broderick, who is following a very similar pattern of this other guy, but in, you know, instead of like, you know, thinking that he's in love with her, he's like actively threatening her and like making out like he's an enemy, but at the same time having a very explicit psychosexual fetishized view of her at the same time, which is which he is aware of. Yeah, but he's not admitting <laughs> you know? it to himself either. Like that he's he never yeah. talks about it in his head. It's just something that we watch play out in the film, but he never admits to himself that he feels that way. And he just yeah. he, but we're meant but we're meant to dislike Tracy Flick because she's a bit annoying because she's annoying you know yeah. and she's and and she's like there is like you know there's elements where you know she's uh, she's talking about how Matthew Matthew Broderick I should use the character name how Jim McAllister's like life is very kind of sad yeah. and how she sort of feels sorry for him because he just goes to work every, every day and and blah 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 and it's kind of like it's just a shitty thing to think about people really. But that's because Tracy, Tracy refuses to see herself as a victim in this, and that's what's like it's yeah. that's unappealing because she's hardworking, you know. She participates. She refuses yeah. to back down. Like, and these are all things that are meant to be applaudable. But when presented in this way, she's presented as the villain. Whereas yeah. Mr. M is, and this... she is conf- she's confused by it as yeah. well. When people, whenever anyone she reacts why people to that her, way. Yeah. she doesn't understand. And she is a bit shit. Like she, you know, she will like she kind of like as as i am doing now she'll like talk over people and, like and like you know she'll she'll shout people down she you know she's a bit shitty and classist in that social climber kind she of way tears i guess down like the thing with chris klein's posters and it's got that awesome music yeah. from navajo joe from sergio leone with the indian cries and stuff like that i love that track oh god yeah yeah but she's yeah, um, so she's good. she's kind of immoral but not um, like what's the crux of the film? The lecture at the start. She's she's being immoral, ethics, but she's not being unethical. And like yeah, you were saying about the way that I think Mister M in this is that kind of monster. He's this archetype which now I think we all know, but back in ninety nine we wouldn't have seen it. In this nice, honest, humble, earnest man, in the fact that he's mm. a monster. He's not something to be um, loved in this. He he internalizes everything and kind of strikes out to ruin everything just because I was in, I was interested since you mentioned the whole like ethics versus morality thing. I mean, I think I think this movie's very clever, but I don't think it's very subtle. No. Like I think it does kind of like no, no. it does kind of like, you know, it, it bangs you on the head. I, I thought it was interesting. So going into it, I was like, okay, this teacher is giving a lesson on ethics versus morality. How is that going to yeah. play in, into the rest of the film? Like obviously. And then people start like, you know, people start making these political choices and it's like, okay, so it's going to be about like ethics and morality and and politics and stuff. But I feel like it kind of like, it doesn't know what its message is about that. And I think the justification for that might be the scene which did make which did actually make me laugh with the apples versus oranges thing. I was about to talk about that. I love that scene a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like this is such a like Gen X movie Mm -hmm. in that, very Gen X nihilistic way of like everything's as bad as everything else. Caring about anything is the worst thing you can do. Yeah. There's no point. There's no point being nice. There's no point being good. And it's all just it's all just shit all the way down. Um, and I feel like again, like watching that as you know a non Gen X person in in 2020, like the nihilism almost just makes it feel like it doesn't have a point. Sure. Like there's sure. 
Like it's just it, it's just kind of floundering, and like things are just sort of happening. Well, the funny thing about the nihilism um, undercurrent is that's his sister's kind of like angle on it, which we, I can talk about a little bit later. I guess some points about her, but she um she picks up this kind of nihilist vote and saying that you know who cares about elections who yeah, cares yeah. about voting like vote for yeah. me and she actually wins the election and she, and she wins because yeah. yeah, she has the biggest 290 and, yeah. yeah but um that to me <laughs> was such that kind aren't of, they told they can't vote for her but they still do anyway they still do and that that for me that was yeah, the whole kind right. of anti-establishment kind of vote that's been coming like percolating through britain for the last like 20 years and then america it leads to stuff like trump and people think they're voting for the person who's going to tear down the system Rather, rather than anything else, even though I absolutely would have voted for her in high school, but I, I see how that that even plays into that kind of elements that this is part of that political sphere, and this this does warn about the fact that this this film was only a year away from the kind of voting scandal in in Florida yeah, when yeah. Bush versus Gore, mm. and this film yeah. is about the fact that the nice, humble, earnest people who are meant to keep stuff working actually are going to fuck this up because they have their own agenda but they think they're doing it for the good and it kind of saw that coming yeah i did uh i i won all my school council elections at school with the tammy method did you (laughs) i don't remember having school elections i was going to bring that up i didn't didn't know if it was a thing I think it's more of an American thing. I'm sure it was. But it's just, it's total, like, it's total CV padding. Mm. Like, nothing happens, you know what I mean? Like, there's no... Well, that's how you got to yeah. where you are I mean, th- that's the thing. That's the thing. It's funny because, obviously, it's such a low-stakes scenario. Yeah. But also, again, it means that, like, Tammy is, like, literally correct. Yeah. Yeah. But in the in the broader, in the broader sense of politics, she's wrong. But in the specific, specific in the specific yeah. text, she is absolutely right, and that's what I mean. It's like this kind of nihilist idea yeah. get just sort of. You, just you say low nothing. stakes, but would Matthew Broderick's character really be fired or forced to resign in real life if he'd actually done those things? Because I know this this the book of this is actually based on two real events, isn't it? You know what? In 1999, maybe now. <laughs> like, no, <laughs> I mean, I know, I know. In America, it's a lot easier to fire people. I, I'd say probably in the UK, like I don't think, I don't think any of the staff would give a shit. Yeah. Um, I think if I think if a janitor came to like a senior staff at school and was like, I found these. I don't care. In the, bin, the family of like, um, so? Paul and Tammy were big influential people in town, though, so they might be able to lean on the school if they felt particularly aggrieved. I know that he was cheating on behalf of Paul, but um, if if they, if maybe that could be an element when they were like, you're bringing our name into disrepute, thinking that we have to cheat to win yeah. stuff and stuff. So, so um, as I said, this is actually based on two real events, isn't it? You so one was... In 1992, there was a, a pageant in Wisconsin where a student was elected the homecoming queen, but the staff announced a different winner uh, and burnt ballots. Oh, God. And, um, <laughs> oh, they burnt God. them. Yeah. Amazing. And uh, it's also it. based on the president, uh, presidential election in 1992 where, is it Ross Perot? Ross Perot. Perot. Yeah, entered a third candidate, which I guess is uh, the Tammy yeah, character. Yeah. Sure. Okay. The spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's that's funny. I mean, I guess probably from what I know about American culture, like I think the the whole sort of pageantry of democracy is like, yeah, you know, that's a much more kind of sacred and, yeah. thing, isn't it? And you know, even though even though they have some of the worst voter suppression in the world, like 
Do you know what is homecoming? I don't know what homecoming. I think it's it's the last it's the last home game of the season for the sports team. I believe, I believe that's true. Yeah, because it's and all that's, about I'm not, sports. I'm not totally sure, but they make they make like a big and that's different to pop prom king and queen. Then I guess yes, yes. Okay. because prom is like the actual end, end of, of the, like the academic yeah. year, isn't it? So it's okay. the after the graduation, yeah. isn't it? I guess homecoming is sports prom. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> if only we could ask someone who might know, if only there was American an if only there was an American that we could that we could communicate with. That, I like the we should talk about the Paul character as well because I thought he was a really good um character of that the way well the way he has never ever wanted for anything in his life. Like he's mm. unable to pick what his favourite fruit is because he just gets everything he wants. People come <laughs> yeah. up to him and give him a car or give him a blowjob or yeah. give him like like quarterback or give him running for the president. Like he just he doesn't know what yeah. he likes because he just gets the best stuff shoved at him. And I love how that's such a good pol- politician thing. That's such a thing that happens to people we elect who have never wanted or thought about <laughs> what their actual policies are. But you'll be really good. Do this. Like and. I don't- yeah. I don't know if you caught this though, but you know, like when it shows his like skiing accident, yeah, it cuts mm. to stocker footage, and his jacket is totally different in that shot <laughs> to the one he's wearing beforehand. Which that's I really such like. That. like the, that's such like the filmmaker comment. I love that. No, I did not. Notice I did that. notice that either. It's like when he goes to New yeah. York, um, they use stock footage yeah, for that yeah. as well. I mean, that's pretty obvious. I did. I did notice that one. That's something. For some reason, my brain always like gives me a little poke and goes, "Oh." <laughs> Oh, apparently there's a... stock footage. <laughs> so yeah, what are you gonna say, Liam? Though at Paul, uh, I was done. I was gonna say <laughs> I have, I have, I have a point about Paul, which again goes back to the ethics versus morality thing. Where Paul, as far as I can tell, never does anything wrong. No, he even votes yeah. for tax. Does he? Um, does he even votes for Reese Witherspoon? Yeah, 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 and not like not for any reason other than like he just feels like it would be yeah. wrong. So to make sure, like he doesn't know, yeah, he doesn't actually to know. make yeah, sure he, just... he doesn't do the wrong thing. I mean, arguably, the worst thing he does in the whole movie is the very first thing he does where he says like, oh, I was so angry at God. Like that's <laughs> literally like, I was trying to think of everything no, he does. He does point out to his sister though, that she's Pre-marital <laughs> sex? I don't know. What's that? He does like kind of like when he's chatting to his sister, like he makes sure that she knows she's adopted. Like. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of shitty. That is that is shitty, but that's a weird scene. Yeah, yeah. In general, I about that 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 scene, that scene feels inconsistent to me because it very rapidly goes from him like he doesn't he doesn't really want to do it, and then he's kind of really chill about it, and then suddenly he's like mercenary about it. And I don't know if there's like a missing scene of like the um I forget her name, but like the the girlfriend. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know, maybe like Lisa. if there was a little bit more of her like kind of manipulating him maybe. I loved it when it would cut to his scenes and it'd be like that like um I was surprised the day Lisa Flanagan asked me to for a ride home and ended up blowing me. <laughs> yeah. I tell you, what do people think of Chris Klein as an actor? I only know him from this in American Pie, but I Because he's I, very similar character, isn't it really? Yeah, I liked him. He played this character. Go on YouTube. He was in Street Fighter Chun Li or something like that. It okay, was a Street yeah. Fighter Chun Li movie, and he's like okay. second or third build. And there's a compilation mm. on YouTube of all of his lines, and he's got one minute and fifty seconds worth of lines in the entire two-hour film. <laughs> you need to, yeah, you need right. to watch it. His acting choices are 
so bizarre. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, but if you're gonna if you're gonna do if you're gonna do Street Fighter Chun Li or whatever, then yeah. <laughs> like just go nuts. Just make all the choices. You know what I mean? Do a Denise Del Toro. Exactly. Do a lot want. of the American Pie actors did a lot of films like this in the early nine, like in the early two thousands or before. I like so, Tara Reid was in The Big Lebowski. Uh, you had yeah, the yeah. one girl who was in uh, American Beauty. Uh, yep. Yeah. Because sure. I felt thing this fil- this film oh, did feel a lot name? like a lot of those films of that era. I thought it had a had a definite vibe of uh, kind of like a little bit off center. Oh so, yeah, like... I mean, this is this yeah, Alexander yeah. Payne's second film, isn't it? Because so he did Citizen Ruth first, which is um, yeah. uh, Laura Dern, which is a similar sort of like satirical politics thing, and then he comes into this, and I like I like the way he does tonal shifts and transitions do put you off balance that's like all these films sideways is the same about schmidt um yeah. and mm-hmm. i don't like the descendants and downsized i haven't watched it. it's meant to be all no, i haven't but, seen downsized um, like he does do that kind of weird he does knock you off base of what you think you're going to be watching and stuff even, even the fact that it takes 40 minutes of this film to get into the plot it does like is it about 40 minutes of just introductions so. and it's just it's just going through and it's setting the table all the way through it's not worrying that it, you're going to get fed up with it it's it's just going to it's going to keep jumping from narrative to introducing people's point of view it, before it, it uses a lot of, kind of film tricks that are fun so you know it's got loads of freeze frames where people like freeze on derpy faces mm, and then it will yeah. cut to like a flashback or and it uses like voiceovers overlay i like the use of overlays like when he's having sex with his wife and then all of a sudden you see the next door neighbor's head mm. pop in overshot <laughs> almost like it's badly photoshopped like when she's doing her photoshop doing, yeah i thought that yeah and then then you talk about then reese witherspoon comes in into yeah, like yeah. over the yeah, shot and stuff yeah. like that and there's the book which opens up and it's kind of got like all them the kind of like the zippy kind of photo cutaways and stuff like that of Reese Witherspoon's oh, yeah, yeah, character yeah. and stuff like that so it kind of exists in that kind of filmy universe where kind of it uses film language to help tell the story and it's not just like I think a straight oh, totally, film. Yeah, I think I mean. it feels really Midwest though I mean I haven't been to the Midwest I know a Midwest lot of his films are like really, set in Nebraska but, though, aren't they yeah, but I, I feel like it's attention to detail. I feel like some like you'd recognise this and you'd recognise how like these people exist and, and 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 people there and the school feels real and it feels like it's in in an actual place and stuff like that. I think um, he, he, all these films do that kind of similar kind of obsession with that middle America type area. I think well, he gets that quite well. It's it's almost got that Minnesota nice to the because all mm. the characters are nice on the surface. But they're, you know, underneath that. Like, I think even Reese Witherspoon's, some of her inflections have that kind of. Because Nebraska's quite close to Minnesota, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think so it's just below it, actually. Got some... I don't know. It's all American to me. <laughs> but yeah, it does, it does, it does feel like. Um, I don't know. Everything feels lived in. Yes. You know, like, all his the, car. like nothing, nothing feels like a set. Like, what was that car? You know. Oh, yeah. Car. I don't know. It had a weird seatbelt thing. <laughs> Liam right? wants what one. What was that? But the seatbelt was weird, yeah, the way it moved. The seatbelt kind of automated round the door. Like, what the hell was that? That's not a car that's ever existed. I refuse to believe that that existed. It's funny. This is just this is just me thinking out loud, but I find it funny how he has this, like, tiny car. Like, even by our standards as, like, Europeans, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's this tiny, tiny little car, which in America in the 90s must have seemed totally yeah, absurd. Especially in the middle of America. And then it... And, yeah, and then at the end of the movie, this is totally thinking about that. I haven't thought about this at all. But then at the end, he ends up in that tiny little apartment yeah. in New York, and he says it's nice not to have a car. 
but it's cozy. And I, I find that interesting. Like, I wonder if that's, like, a choice based on his character of, like, the idea of him, like, actually feeling trapped or feeling like he had this kind of... Well, like... You know, like, he was living this very small life that, for some reason, he wanted to break out of. And I love, like, I love the scene as well. Probably the bit that... I don't know how funny it was meant to be, but when he's, like, sitting having dinner with his wife and he's like, we're best friends. <laughs> like, it's great. We're closer than ever. And they're just sat there, like, really, so, really quiet. Do you think, like, like, when he so gets stung funny. by the bee, that's, like, pretty unsubtle kind of metaphor that, like, he's been stung, like, it's he's been... Have you have you ever seen a film called Star Wars, James? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I think you know that's that's obviously a joke, but I think it's obviously like a kind of visual shorthand for his kind of fall from yeah. grace, isn't it? Like it looked good though. Be... His eye I was, thought it was a like... beast. I thought it was a good beasting. I wrote down here what are the best <laughs> beasting films. Um, <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on Matthew Broderick though Ow. as an actor? I don't like Matthew me. Broderick very much, actually. Nah, I mean, like, I really but... don't like Ferris Bueller. I have to say it. I yeah, like I think him. Ferris Bueller's a tit. A tit? That's the wrong word to use, but I think he's just, um, I don't know. I, he's pretty good at playing a pathetic person. <laughs> no, that's why I loved him in I this. Mean, in, I thought in he really, Gadget. really was great <laughs> in this. Inspector Gadget, I forgot about that. <laughs> I think so. No, I think, he's, I think he's perfect for this because I think that, like, I think, like, Matthew. Broderick is more like Tracy Flick than Reese Witherspoon is. <laughs> I just get the I get the feel. I don't know either of them, but I get the feeling that in real life Matthew Broderick would annoy me with his presence, and he would be perfectly nice and everything. But that's just like, and I don't I do not know him. Not. Like I've never met him. I don't know if this is true at all. But that's like just the impression I get of him off the screen. And it was actually something that made me laugh going into this film because for for me. Reese Witherspoon is massively underrated mm-hmm. as an actor. Oh yeah, and I think yeah. the I think she's made some like she's made some a load of super underrated mm-hmm. movies. I think she's There's played a, some like, incredibly multifaceted to, uh, characters. It's uh, um a, an oh, course, absolutely yeah, straight yeah. through, and she nails Legally Blonde so so fantastically. Yeah, yeah, and she's got a bunch of stuff where it is like it's just super multifaceted, yeah. and I can totally tell. Obviously, it's like early in her career, so she doesn't have as much choice. But like, you can totally tell what she's doing. You know, this is totally consistent. This 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 type of character, yeah. whereas like, and and that's why you know, going into this movie, I thought it was kind of funny. It's like, well, I'm probably just going to be on Reese Witherspoon's yeah, side. Yeah, I thought that as well, <laughs> just because of that. Like, and you know, you try you try and be objective, but I think that definitely played into like my my viewing of the whole thing i always find like, it hard to yeah. sympathize with matthew broderick though and because you know he was responsible for killing two people mm-hmm. in in ireland in ireland and and all he got was like a 175 dollar fine and it's just wow. insane and like he claims not to remember any of it or something it like was that. a car crash wasn't it like yeah. the details are not very i think he was well driving known. on the wrong side of the road i think something like that and yeah and I couldn't help the scene in this film where it's got the rear screen projection. It just kind of that flashed in my head as soon as I saw that scene. Oh, that yeah. scene in the film. But I did I like just, that though, where he where he's driving that car and then he steps out of his shitty Fiat, or yeah. whatever it is. It, the way he mm. sees himself and actually the the actual life he's leading. He manages to get a lot done during that class as well when he like gives them the the <laughs> test and then he like runs to the shop and then to the hotel and then sets that up and then gets back to the. Oh, has a sh- does he have a shower yeah, he as does, well? He, he has a, a shower. Oh, I'll never forget the image of Matthew Broderick cleaning his dick. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that will always be burnt into my brain. Now. 
I find him difficult to like as a like a lead character in a film as a protagonist. Like I, I find him much easier to in this kind of role when he's thinking he's the protagonist but he's actually a dick. And I think that really suits him much yeah. better. In Cable Guy, he's meant to be the nice guy, and you're like, mm. and you don't think he, like yeah, he's even his presence make you think, well, maybe he's not being that nice. Maybe like yeah. maybe he's a bit of a dick. But I don't know. <laughs> I don't know him. He just. I mean, maybe. Yeah, maybe maybe that's what he likes to do. Maybe he just likes to do stuff where, like, you know, he's a bit of a dick as well. And it's nice to see, like, such multifaceted characters, I think. And I, I think a lot of it, like you were saying about the kind of, the almost slow build and, like, slow kind of setup for then everything to be released, it's probably partly that, like, because it, it was a novel, wasn't yeah. it? It was, like, yeah, it was a book, quite yeah. quickly adapted, I think. Yeah, and I, I think that's, you know... Being being an adaptation, I think it carries a lot of that. Like just the fact that you know, there's no protagonist really. No, not really. Yeah, I guess like there's you know everyone has their kind of their kind of two cents to put into it, and then we're left to make up our own mind as the as the audience. But I mean, I think I do like I I think like if this movie was made now, I think that I think that Tracy. I keep saying Tracy. I'm not. Yeah, Tracy Flick. I I, I feel like they would Pink either Flick. have to make Tracy Flick way more annoying. They'd have to make her like awful, or they'd have to like really rein it in on like. Well, I think yeah. a lot of the kind it's of basically Parks and Rec, isn't it? It's her character. You could easily be Leslie yeah. Nope in the in the same in the same role. So you could easily do something like that with her. But it depends. I think. Knowing the character Tracy Flick from just the internet before, like seeing the film, definitely the way this film's played out in the last twenty years, that she's the villain. Like she's the person you don't like. She's the obnoxious like person. I hundred percent went to school with a girl just like her. Like hundred <laughs> percent. Like, and she, that's the name, stuff but... that was thrown at Hillary in the last election was her kind of that that you're this kind of scheming, undermining politician who's like who's really annoying and you don't want to be on the side with and. That's definitely exists, I think. But watching it, I, I struggle to know where she's. I struggle to know where the narrative came that she's the villain in the film. But clearly, it I, was seen. I love the scene when she when she's found out she's won, or like you know, and she's dancing. Tell, yeah. I love that scene, like the yeah. pure joy in her face, and she's like so happy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's good. And I, I was and, like, why can't she dance? You just think she's yeah. won. Like, what, like that's fine. But I mean, you know. Speaking of misogyny, I think, <laughs> I think it's interesting. Like, I think it's interesting bringing up Parks and Rec because I think you're absolutely right that the character's name is Leslie Nope. nope. Yeah. Yes, Leslie no- Les- Leslie Nope in um in Parks and Rec. She she's like she's a politician. She wants to do things like she wants to yeah. make parts. She wants to do things, yeah. But she doesn't. She doesn't want power and she's incredibly selfless to a point even though she's like can be a little bit sociopathic with it so it's like everything that she's doing is for other people even to the point where one of the later seasons and what made me think of this because it really annoyed me is they make a decision where you know spoilers if you haven't seen it but like they make a decision where basically leslie nope on her own decides that her boyfriend should run for congress instead of her Uh, yeah and just gives and just totally gives up a lifelong dream because it's almost like 
to be likable, she can't want anything for herself. Yeah, 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 yeah sure. And I and I think and I think that and that, that's something I've thought about before. And I think in this in this context of thinking like, why is Tracy Flick different to Leslie Nope? Why is Leslie Nope a beloved hero? And why is is why do some people see Tracy Flick as a villain? Is Tracy Flick wants, wants she know, to yeah, win for, for herself to, to improve yeah. her own yeah, life? Yeah. And that's you know, did you know this is it for herself? Yeah. Do you know this had a different ending? Apparently, there was a yard sale in like 2011, and someone found a VHS with like an actual alternative oh, wow. ending. And in the Snyder Cut, in that <laughs> yeah, and in that ending, apparently, it's more like the book. So uh, okay. Jim becomes a used car salesman and stays in Omaha. Okay. And uh, Tracy okay. comes to buy a car from him. And they settle their differences, and he signs her yearbook, and that's the original ending. Oh no, I don't like that. This is much yeah. better. The, yeah. the fact, the fact at the end of this film it's when weird. he finally says the quiet part loud, and he's fight like, and yeah. it's so good, uh, and yeah. he finally just kind of, you, you see that he hasn't learned anything, like nothing, like nothing. Yeah. He's never learned a thing from this whole thing. He's still the victim. She's still the reason why like everything went wrong. And... Well, she pretty much says that at the beginning. She, sa- I can't remember. I'm paraphrasing, but she says, if it plays out again, it will happen all again the same way. So it's like he, like you said, he hasn't learned anything, and it would just happen again. And like yeah. when he's working at the museum, he sees another girl who's just like her, and it's yeah, like, yeah. and it'll keep it'll keep yeah, going yeah, the cycle, yeah. yeah. And he'll keep. Yeah. I liked the way as well that he um he has an affair with uh, the other guy's wife, um, using the same kind of undermining tricks that he did to sleep with Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. Um, and yeah. but he he doesn't see that in himself at all like he doesn't think he's doing this at all and... so he's driving the car and they go past the motel do you want to get a room yeah. god that was yeah. like oh that was horrible like, i couldn't believe that like i thought it was gonna like it was gonna like cut and it, he would have just imagined saying yeah like, yeah, yeah like yeah. i didn't like i couldn't believe it. it was it was just horrible and i think that like you know it's subtle and maybe it's something that would be less subtle now but like the way the uh, the way that Mr. M like frames what happened between his best friend, who he describes as as his best friend, and they play shit rock music like... together. I can't remember what they're playing. There. Exactly, yeah. Oh, yeah <laughs> between his best friend and and between Tracy Flick, it is like the way the way he describes it, the way he the way he views that situation. I think is subtle, but I think it's one of the creepiest and worst things about about the character and the fact that like the fact that we know about his psychosexual fixation but then the the thing that he pursues is with his neighbor but it's like that lack of control that lack of like impulse control in the in the car in that moment makes you think that like what would that lack of impulse control mean in a private moment potentially with sure Sure. With Tracy Flick, like, especially because he well, is. Was like, that scene know... when she gets all the signatures so she can like run for class president, or whatever? And he's yeah, watching yeah. her hand as it's like as she's like almost stroking the the edge of the window frame on his car, and it's like. Yeah, yeah, and the the creepy like when he's when he's like going to sleep, and it's like that weird like ASMR bit. Like even more so, like I think at that stage, like even more so, like later on than like when he's having sex with his wife and he sees like Linda's face and then he sees Tracy's face. Like that's almost like at that point, it's almost less shocking mm. to see that. Yeah. 
And there's so many things, there's so many, like, subtle things. We haven't even talked about the fact that, like, he's a teacher and when he goes to watch porn, he decides to watch watch porn that's set in a school. And it reminds him of a student. It reminds him of a student. (laughs) But it's always like, so, I mean, even, like, that is just, like... It is just, it's constantly like building this case of he does such awful things constantly and he's such a terrible person. I don't like the fact he's got a ritual to pleasure himself. He's got this chest <laughs> full of porn and he's sitting there and he's got his comfy, like, little mm. throw over. Yeah, I guess times were simpler in the Yeah, 90s. now you just get Pornhub off on your phone and there you go. Jobs are good. <laughs> get to business. On your, on your phone? Oh, God. Well, have you got it on three screens? Well, that sounds awful. I've only got two screens, oh, well. but you know, <laughs> the VR, the VR, the VR headsets in the post. <laughs> um, it's for work. But, uh, <laughs> so what were you gonna say, Liam? What Sorry. about what about election? Though? I was gonna say the only other thing is the um, the lesbian storyline. Yeah, I was gonna. Yeah, I, I haven't um, talked about the system much. I think there's a reason that it doesn't get like kind of focused on as yeah. much. You know what I mean? As the kind of even though it's so, it is so important. It's like it is important to the story, but I think it's something that it's like Bruce Willis's part in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the bit that if it wasn't there, it's kind of like eh. I just felt what it was doing a little too much was saying that she, she's angry because she's a lesbian, instead of saying, you know, you couldn't be legitimately mad at society and want anti-establishment kind of policies, not just because you're you know, non-heteronormative, and I think the film a little too much went, you know, brushed her aside with the, well, she's angry because she's a lesbian. What are they trying to say that it will happen again to her, though? Because she's now got this new best friend. They, they mirror, they mirror so much of her, like, because, because it's heavily, it's heavily implied that, like, her coming on too strong was, like, the reason she kind of pushed, uh, pushed her girlfriend away. Uh, that was definitely like an element of it. Maybe it's not the whole thing, but it's definitely an element that, of that. Um, and that then love it's note like amazing. it's so mirrored. Oh yeah, the it's love so note, mirrored yeah. at the end where she says like we're gonna be in love forever. They're on the swing. Yeah, they yeah. do the same shot with like the close up of her, and it's like yeah, you're happy now, but like you know, are you just gonna do the? Is same that thing the unreliable then? narrator though? She's like telling it how she wants. She thinks it. Well, is. yeah, we're just know. seeing her. her yeah, 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 exactly. She's yeah. now found a new girl, and they're really happy. Look, it's all the same thing happening again. But she's gonna make the same mistakes. Gonna... But Paul's happy. I'm trying to remember all, all the stuff he was saying. Like he's like, oh, maybe my life, maybe my life would be totally different. Yeah. Paul just oh, has maybe. a party outside the uh, the cement factory. Yeah, <laughs> party at the cement factory. But that's great because you know he's he's happy. He hasn't done anything wrong. He doesn't feel like he's lost anything. You know, he's a bit sad about his girlfriend leaving him, but he'll get over yeah, it. Because then another girl will know. appear. He's going to be fine. Yeah, and he's played as he's played as like really kind of non-academic as well. But then apparently he gets into the place that he wants to go after school, which is great. Well, I assume that's because you he's legged healed and can play football again. Yeah, yeah. Paul Metzer, that, that, you that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that's great. So he gets he gets to go off and do what he wants. Like Hello. he's got like the family business to fall back on, so it doesn't really matter to him you know and that's that's a lovely happy ending you know and it's weird that like okay well there's a question is does tracy flick get a happy ending yeah, well like does she, does she does she actually get what she wants because i think i'm trying i'm racking my brains trying to remember because i think she actually says at the end does she say at the end that like she thought she'd be happier or something 
Or she thought that after she'd done Who's she with in the limousine? I'm trying to think who she is. Who's she with in that black car? It says like repre- it says like representative no, something she, or other. So I guess it's a politician governor. Okay. Um, okay yeah. I, w- I, w- I was trying to work out if the fact that they made the governor Republican was a statement about her, like her, facing yeah. herself rather than it being about like, apples and oranges. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it to- it totally tracks that she'd be a Republican. Um, I think to she's me. happy at the end of the film, kind of. I think. I don't know. No one's particularly happy in this film, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's that's part of the point, isn't it? And it's always like you know, it's totally multifaceted. I like how angry that one. I mean, you could argue, you could argue that angry the how angry the one kid is who's counting the ballots, and uh, he's, yeah. just, he's so angry. <laughs> <It's> a... <laughs> no, I counted them. He's just a, he's yeah, just a civil yeah. servant who's just trying to do his job, and the, and the fucking <laughs> system is going. No, you counted wrong. And he's like, I didn't fucking count wrong. Like, just let me let yeah, me do yeah. stuff. Yeah, that that was funny. I mean, that, I guess that's why I think about because you could argue like outside of one encounter in Washington D.C., you could probably argue that like Mr. M is just as happy. As, I think he tells like, himself he's happy. Anyone yeah, else? Yeah. Of, which I don't know. I don't know if that's like a point of the film or whatever. But yeah, it was funny. Well, me. I liked him saying, "I even get to walk to work sometimes." Like, like it was a massive <laughs> mm. positive for him. And you just think, mm, I don't think, I don't think it's all working. I've, out, I've been to that museum though, where he works. It's very impressive. Sick. Right, we didn't really go through the film in order, but I think we covered everything. Is there anything else someone would like to kind of tag with? Um. Set there's a Sebodo track in the film. <laughs> I feel like we are. I feel like we're, there's there's so many things to touch on because there's so many subtle moments. Like even the fact that like the stump speeches, like Tracy and Paul's oh, yeah. speeches are essentially the same. Like the there's like the apples and oranges aspect of it, which I guess like I, you know I'd like to. Do you do you not think that I guess that I guess that's the thing, isn't it? Because it's this apples and oranges things. Then the fact that like it makes a point of saying that she's with a Republican at the end is like, is that meant to be making a point? Like, I guess, like, at the end of the Clinton years, like, I just... you know, the the parallels to Hillary Clinton are, like, super obvious. Yeah. Like, is it meant to be, is it meant to be surprising? I mean, if, if part of the message of the film is that, like, it's all the same and nothing matters, like, was that just... I didn't see it surprising. I thought it was the way the film telling you kind of placing it as the villain, to be honest. Saying it in a Hollywood film, putting it with the Republicans. Yeah, like I mean, that's it's funny as well because that's probably the only like real like partisan mm-hmm. statement in the whole thing. I mean, I guess from a, from an American perspective, there's more because there's like you know homosexuality and someone says they don't believe in God and all that kind of stuff, which I'm sure is terribly shocking to a certain <laughs> type of person, but. um but yeah, I get, yeah, because that's a it's a it's a choice, yeah. isn't it? It's always, it's always a, choice. a choice. Like they didn't like they could have they could have just said representative so and so without saying yeah. a party or you know. There's a million ways that you can show that she works that she in politics, politics without. Yeah. yeah, but they explicitly yeah, say she's like they're in Republican but, yeah. politics. So. Yeah, and I mean, for for me, it tracks like just the fact that she. It tracks for me where she's from. She like, has the like that type of that place in America. Her kind of her her more authoritarian stuff even though she could be very liberal in the, in that side of the democratic party she could easily be a, like an elizabeth warren who was more republican in college and then ended up working for the democrats yeah. so she could easily be that kind of swing um kind of politician 
Yeah, definitely. And I mean, that's I guess that's why it's the choice, isn't it? Because if you said if you said nothing, then you're not then you're just sort of not committing, and it's kind of nothing. But then if you say she's a Democrat, it's like you know people just kind of shrug and go whatever. Would, I think... But then if you say she's a Republican, it's like we end up sitting here twenty years later having yeah. a conversation about it. <laughs> I, I think guess. if she would have been labelled as a Democrat then the film, it would have been look almost looked like that they, they were softening her in a yeah. weird way. Whereas mm. it isn't in practicality, but maybe you would have read it that way a little more. Whereas Republican makes it kind of show that she kept her kind of hard stance when going, going through everything. I don't know. I thought it was interesting and I had trouble knowing how to read it, I guess. I mean, she's definitely like, she, you know, we hear her say like she's of the opinion that if people have mediocre lives, then that's their fault and yeah. they should be jealous yeah. of people who do better. She thinks it's her destiny to succeed and do better, which means she must think it's other people's destiny to not succeed. You know, she has a she has that kind of like superiority, but also an element of like being put upon by everyone. I was going to say like victimhood complex, because that's usually where the kind of right wing mentality comes from. It's like you have to believe that you are superior but also being held that's down def- well, that's go, definitely I mean, modern that's... the modern kind of view of it in this film it's the other way around that she doesn't think she's a victim and matthew Boderick absolutely is the victim of this and he his core belief is he's a victim and he's not doing as well because he's kept down by the stuff ability the way they film him he's always squirming like so that one of the very first shots is like him going through that metal kind of like a gate system where you kind of have to worm in and out, but you have to kind of scrunch your body up in an uncomfortable way to kind of get through it. His car is oh, yeah. is tiny and he's kind of like mm. like an elephant in like a mini. And then he's got the tiny apartment at the end. It's almost like he's constantly... He's always kind of, yeah, yeah. 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 Worming himself through. So is that, is that like, is that inconsistent with the fact that he seems like... Like, how are we meant to take the fact that, you know, he wins these, like, teaching yeah, but, awards at the school? But this is what we were saying. So really, is it, like, like I mean, is, is that about, like, being small? Is that about being contained? It's, like, almost like almost like he has more to give. Like, he's hit a ceiling, and that's that's his ceiling. And he, I don't, I was just, he convinces himself he doesn't want any more. No, or... I think it's just him kind of almost lying to himself again, like, like we said earlier. I don't know. Yeah. So, Liam, you, you're on Letterboxd. What are you giving it out? Five? Uh, four, four and a half, probably. Yeah, I'd give it a four and a half. Paul, what would you give out of five? Um, it was better than I thought it was gonna be. Um, I'd give it a four. I'd be, I'm glad we watched it. I, I like Alexander Payne. I, I say I like his films, but there's a lot. There's actually quite a few I don't like, but I think he's a good filmmaker. You know, he co-wrote Jurassic Part Three. Did he? Oh, he's a wonderful yeah. filmmaker. Then. I would say, did you see that it was an it's an MTV film? Which there aren't that many MTV films. Yeah, I saw that. That's that threw me. Yeah, there's Joe's apartment you know what... and there's the Beavers and Butthead yeah, movie. That was and I think that's about one. it. Yeah. Do you know what the highest grossing um, MTV film ever was? Beavers and Butthead. No. Yeah. Hansel and Gretel: The Witch Hunters. That's an MTV <laughs> film. Amazing. Yeah. With um, I thought that was Hawkeye. Yes, with Hawkeye. Hawkeye himself. <laughs> <laughs> Old Mr. I. Like, the other films they've done is like Jackass, Save the Last Dance, um, Footloose. Oh, I thought the, uh, the Jackass the, is the, must the have been like, quite 
must have made quite a bit of money. They're doing another yeah, one did. of those. God knows how they're doing that now. Well, they're not at the moment. Nothing's <laughs> happening at the moment. True. They're also, they're also old. They're just get. They're just getting up off the city quickly. <laughs> that's like <laughs> that's the first thing we do. Eating doing. solid food. <laughs> Honestly, if you if you haven't seen Bam Margera for twenty oh, years, like don't he's, don't don't Google him. He's, I, it's so I saw him on a podcast. He we looks all, like, like dad. It, like he looks like Phil. Yeah, exactly. Like death comes to us all, you know. But like fucking hell, don't don't you don't have to be. He's a lived a life. That's, I think that's what he said. Yeah, totally. Many totally. Yeah. So we like to well. end on a, a little kind of box office game. We do uh, biggest weekends of the year, which we won't be doing for our next mini series because the data doesn't exist. So this will be the last one we'll do for a while, and I think there's something else to do for the seventies. Oh, spoilers! Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, no one, no one will listen. Now. Um, but um, so we got the top ten biggest weekends of 1999. Uh, we'll start from the smallest one up to the top. Uh, there's one that's the same film in two, so I'll just skip it and we'll do it together. But this, the first one is uh, July 23rd, 1999. It opens to 33 million. So the smallest is 33 million. This is a big box office, like, like yeah. It's a DreamWorks film, it's a horror film, and it's a remake. Mate, are we are we meant to guess what yeah, this yeah. is? Because I'm going to be so bad at this game. This is like, what makes me laugh. I don't like my my brain. Did, my, it's di- <laughs> my brain does not hold detail in this way. <laughs> Directed by a European guy. Uh, he was a cinematographer. It stars um, someone who, at this point, wasn't known for action films, but then becomes a guy who's known for action films. I know it very much so. Did Jan de Bont direct it? It is. Is it The Haunting? It is The Haunting. <laughs> me, 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 me. I don't know how you get it. <laughs> yeah, if this is the competition between Ollie and Paul, it's, it's going to be not on. Do you know Inspector like, Gadget? Oh no, this is this is this is not a competition. Like if you if you're here for a public beating, <laughs> then we can call it that. But Do you know like, Election Inspector honestly, Gadget? Honestly, I'll I'll talk about Election Inspector Gadget Election came Inspector. out in the same year. How nuts is that? <laughs> Oh my that. god! Like, yeah, I didn't know yeah. Gadget came out this year. But have you seen that Haunting? It's a trash film. I saw the it. Haunting and House on Haunted Hill come out the same year, and it's yeah. Thirteen Ghosts this year. It's Thirteen Ghosts next year. So you got these really it's... weird remakes of fifties horror films that all happening in nineteen ninety nine. And I can't believe this film was so big. I can't believe this film was the biggest opening weekend compared to what it was sandwiched with in release yeah. schedule. Um, and it's not even a, but... a Halloween release either. No, a July film for it. It's, yeah. it's absolutely ridiculous release to not release it in October. But House on the Haunted Hill gets the October release. So, whatever. But that, I can't believe that was one of the biggest films. The next one is June 18th. It opens to 34. It's a Walt Disney film. Do I need to say any more? Farley? Animated, so it's Tarzan, isn't it, that year? Yeah, it's Tarzan that year. Yeah. God. I don't know what to say about Tarzan. It's okay. Is it? Oh, I don't Phil like Collins. I don't like that one. It's boring. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was all yeah. Phil Collins, wasn't it? Was I think so he weird. did a few um, Disney films. I think he may have done Brother Bear. Might be wrong with that one. I couldn't tell you anything about Brother Bear apart from the fact it exists. That's the only thing I know about Brother Bear. 
I don't I don't know how like how how is Tarzan a thing? Like how do you make that an interesting story? Is it basically just like reverse I mean gender swap Pocahontas? Like is that the He deal? surfs down vines, like, that's all you need to know. Of... I think they I think they thought first thing was ah uh, free jumping in the jungle. Or you know No, because it's a little bit before free jumping, I think. Well, okay, it's like extreme sports then, so like yeah. skating yeah, and surfing and stuff. Yeah, I mean, the the animation's cool, but it's just this horrible, like, colonialist oh, undertones, yeah, isn't it? That, like, like, well, that's the story from the yeah. turn of the century about, like, about white man over kind of natives. And exactly, it's, yeah. It's like the inherent, like, nobility and bullshit. Or, yeah, like, it's yeah. crap. I think it's crap. <laughs> yeah. so, next one, July 30th, uh, yeah. 35 million, Paramount, romantic comedy, starring uh, the biggest female female actress of um, the 90s probably the attack of the 50 foot woman actually the better clue this reunites two people <laughs> in a film like a huge screen couple it's not you oh, um, male, is fucking... it no no is it them no when did it come out sorry I wasn't anywhere when did it come out June June 30th Huge, huge actress, biggest '90s actress, probably, probably her biggest film, um, and reunites her with the male co-star that kind of made her. That the film kind of made them in the '80s. Made them in the '80s. The biggest '90s actress. Who was the biggest '90s actress? She's not very big anymore. Know. See, that's why. I don't know. I don't know anything about movies. I don't know why. I'm <laughs> Sandra Bullock? No, 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 no. Romantic Ju- comedy. Julia Roberts. Yes. Go on. Oh, oh, is it the running one with Richard Gere? No. Yes. Her and Richard Gere back together running. Um, can you do that name? Runaway Bride. Bride. Yes. All right. I got one. I feel like a winner. I feel like Jones gave me that one. <laughs> I'll let you have it. <laughs> he was there just like, he was there just like, I'll give him a second. He knows it. He knows it. Okay. Next one. November 19th. Uh, 35 million opening. MGM film. Uh, action film. It is the newest film in a huge franchise. Is it? Which one it is? Oh, fuck. Uh... The world is not enough. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't have to say anything for you to get this. <laughs> <laughs> Next one, uh, June twenty-fifth. Uh, Forty-one million. It's massive for this film. Uh, Forty-one million. Sony Pictures comedy. Uh, the follow-up for me. It's I don't know. Big comedic actor. He made the shift from TV to film. His biggest film was last year, so this is follow-on. Um, it's more of a grounded film for him. It's kind of shit, but uh, <laughs> is it the director of it? Uh, shit. Directs basically all his films. Oh, um, it's, it's not the same. Ah, oh, shit. But you know the him. You know the lead over the director. I think. Uh, is. Is it um, Sandler? No. Yes. I'm trying to think what would have come out. Would it be Big, yes, Daddy. Big Daddy. Daddy? Paul's got two. He's sniping. 
Hey, hey come on, I'm, he's a shark. I'm like, he's a I'm shark. I'm like the person who kind of loosens the, the bottle cap and then I hand it to Paul and he opens it and I'm like, yeah, but I loosen it for you. That's it. We're a team. Yeah, boy. We share all share the points. We're like a tag team. Uh, yeah, what's to say about Big Daddy? It's kind of crap. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What what do you what do you say about Big Daddy? Uh, exists. Adam Sandler's got some good movies. And he none has? of them were directed by Dennis Dugan. I think that's the problem. <laughs> what's he directs? Uh, He's all the Sandler films that you don't like are Dennis Dugan. It's all grown ups and like all that he did happy gilmore i like happy gilmore okay okay he did jack and jill i don't hate sandler but i don't know we move on may 7th 1999 opens to 43 uh universal picture adventure film it's worth pointing out that 43 million opening weekend it's still the fifth biggest film biggest opening weekend of the year so that's how incredible this year was uh it's a remake of uh very old franchise um it was oof, it led to kind of multiple sequels spin-offs prequels oh uh, the mummy the mummy yes don't need to go into any more detail <laughs> there he is go team go team and i think it's still team kind of team paul and jones working together figuring it out what are your thoughts on uh, Mr. Brendan Fraser? I like Brendan Fraser. You know Frazier. what? Fuck Brendan Fraser. There is, there's a movie, The Mummy, with Tom Cruise. <laughs> That's a movie that exists. It ex- it's real. I've never seen it. I it don't exists. believe it. Apparently it's part Paul, of this I franchise. They wanted, to create, they wanted to create some kind of franchise. Paul, I think what the, I bring but the there's, a mo- there's a real movie. And I was going <laughs> to not do it this week. <laughs> Liam. I can't. We- I wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat. Just like, that's that's a real thing. I want to create a Dark Franchise Universe t-shirt. I bet there's probably some that exist yes. already. Oh, I want a crew jacket. You know, there's crew jackets <laughs> with Dark Universe. On I worked on the invis- I worked you know on what? this film that never came out. <laughs> What's that? Do you know what? I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not like a conspiracy theory guy. But there's definitely like a shadowy cabal that are trying to like scrub everyone's memories of this movie. <laughs> it's like just it's just been stricken from everything. It's like how in ancient Egypt, like if they didn't like a pharaoh, like after he died, they'd chuck him in the Nile and like just destroy every like yeah, reference. Yeah, Tom Cruise to them has done it. <laughs> that ever existed. The Scientologists <laughs> have paid everyone off. Russell Crowe plays yeah. <laughs> the Scientologist. Russell Crowe is the real Hyde, Jekyll and Hyde. Amazing. In the, in Amazing. the Mummy. Not just in, in, he's actually in yeah. the Mummy film as that character. Yeah, like, he plays Samuel L. Jackson like, why, in the Mummy. That's his like, role. Why did that? Why did that ever happen? <laughs> like, I make fun of the, I make fun of the DC universe, but honestly, like. This is like a, this is one. Well, they've tried beyond, several times. Honestly. They tried with Van Helsing. That was meant to be the start of the new horror franchise. Then they tried it with Dracula. Was it Dracula something or other? Legends or Dracula like Untold? That. Must see. Yeah, yeah, that's got a really similar kind of look. But like, I think okay. it's the Wolfman. That was the first one, wasn't it? With um. Oh, that was another one by uh, yeah, yeah, shit. Joe Vincent Johnson. Del Toro. Yeah, yeah, Del Toro. Yeah, and they did um, they did the uh. Oh, the sexy Frankenstein as well. What was that called? What was the sexy the Frankenstein? Sexy Frankenstein. <laughs> it, was, it was called. It was called sexy Frankenstein. Oh. 
Frankenhooker. Subtitle, 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 the doctor will see you now. Frankenhooker? (laughs) That's a real film. That's a real film. I haven't made that up. I I bet, I bet it is. We had a copy in video action. It was on VHS. It was the only VHS we had and we couldn't sell it. <laughs> Got. But yeah, that uh, that Brendan Fraser mummy. I like him. It's 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 just, it's fine, isn't it? Like it's you know. It's Do you know fine. who got cast as Frankenstein's monster for the Dark Universe? Ooh, Do you know this dude? Uh, no, who? Who'd be who Happy A. Bardell? Really? Frankenstein's monster. What? <laughs> Johnny Depp was the Invisible Man. Does that mean he didn't have to set half the time? <laughs> he could just kind of just chill out. Anyway, I always wonder if Hollow that. Man was meant we to be that. like a restart as well. I, I don't know. Who knows? What, no, it's like fucking Hollow Man's insane. <laughs> okay. Honestly, who who knows how movie executives make decisions? Imagine trying to build upon Hollow Honestly. Man, make something more <laughs> from that. Like, like <laughs> we have to raise the stakes. Like. What's what's next? Black Hole Man. What's next? Luke? Right next, uh, we're gonna skip number four. Because it comes back. So number three Anti-matter is June eleventh, nineteen ninety nine. It fifty four million opening weekend. This film was huge. Like New Line comedy. Oh, uh, Austin Powers as Bo Shagme. Yes. <laughs> I didn't even have to say anything else. Go team. <laughs> I. We did it. We did we it, Jones. Yet, we did we it together. We could go down in a. Could become a no matter what I think about Austin Powers and whatever became of Austin Powers, the scene where he does the U-turn in the corridor and then gets stuck. Oh, it's still every day. No, we have to reverse a car. Well, or I think about it space. every time I yeah. park. Yeah, <laughs> I've been <laughs> in cars and almost got into that situation, and the and we've said to each other, "We're doing an Austin Powers." Like it's it's uh, like shorthand for everyone knows what that means. It's it's beautiful. It is when when you were talk when you were talking then when you were saying like whatever ha- whatever about Austin Powers. Like, I don't care. I legitimately thought you were going to say like it did amazing things for British culture. <laughs> Britain on a map. British culture around the world. In those, those Put... early years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> when we were a young, up-and-coming But it's crazy, because the first one did okay, but the second one just did gangbusters, like, massive. I guess it makes sense. I mean, it's like, it's a, like... I guess it's not, like, a totally crazy concept. Like, similar things have been mm. done before, but it was pretty, like... It was pretty out there. Like, I don't really remember like 1960s things being much of a thing like in the night in the late 90s like that's, i don't know that's fair. That it was all very yeah. like spice world that's very world kind of like futury and do you remember desktop buddies that used to be yes. able to install and they're like an animated desktop <laughs> yeah, buddy. yeah. I had like Austin cats and dogs <laughs> yeah amazing you could get that's, strippers that's as well like, strip on i your never screen. got that it's... <laughs> I never got that. It's like clippy, but you can't yeah. turn it off. Like, <laughs> like it's always there, no matter what you're doing. You're playing Doom, and yeah. Austin. I mean, Powers I guess pops up to say hello. <laughs> <laughs> I guess now we just have Google, don't we? I've probably got like ten devices within five feet of me, like transmitting all my yeah. data to like several oh, world yeah. governments. Katana's absolutely listening in on like and and what we're doing. <laughs> you know, Katana. Everyone does. Yeah, of course. They use it daily. And if it. The most dangerous if you have a Samsung, you've got Bixby. 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 Do you know what? 
Bixby on my phone. There's a there's a there's a button like not like an on-screen button, like a a hardware button that the only thing it does is open a program called Bixby. I know it's kind of like Cortana. But the only thing I know about it is sometimes when I try and turn my volume I, down, I accidentally hit the Bixby button and I'm like, fuck, no, standing for abort. You know, like some people are obsessed with Bing and I'm like, no, nah, nah, fuck, fuck everything, yeah. you need to use Bixby, that's the, that's the assistant you need <laughs> in your life. Do you know what, my, my wife's a programmer and I'm gonna, I'm gonna get her to, like, hack my phone so when I accidentally press the Bixby button, instead of bringing up Bixby, it plays the Tom Cruise mummy movie. <laughs> and you know, it, it won't stop. trailer. <laughs> can't stop. It's the trailer they released that didn't have the full sound. <laughs> oh yeah, just... I forgot about that. Oh god yeah, I forgot about that. That's amazing. It's one of the best things to ever a- happen from Hollywood. Amazing. <laughs> Alright, what's next, Liam? Do you know what, like, as, as someone as someone who works in marketing, that's, like, horrifying. Ugh. Like, this week, the, Ep- the Epic Game Store accidentally tweeted out that they were going to be releasing for GTA free, Five yeah. on it for <laughs> free, like, several days before doing it. But then they still went through with this, like, secret thing, like, with the countdown and everything, what's it going to be? And people were just, like, linking the screenshot of the tweet going, it's GTA it Five. crashed Epic yesterday as well, I noticed, because <laughs> I tried to get it. Yeah, yeah. Right, what's two? next, Loom? Cool. Yes, Number two, November twenty sixth, uh, fifty seven million, Walt Disney film. It is a sequel to one of the best ones ever made. You got a friend of me. Yeah. You got a friend of <laughs> me. I got troubles. I got <laughs> a <laughs> We don't talk about it before that before Toy Story, Randy Newman was like a kind of like adult singer. That, I know. Like, like, and then he was a bit of a loud and now he's seen as like a kid's music kind well, of guy. Well, he was a bit of a loud and Wainwright, wasn't he? That kind of guy, kind of. Well, it's, it's all meant to be subversive, isn't he? And yeah. He would, like, he's kind of guy playing smoky bars and moan about like politics and, and things. And and now he's like, you got a friend. <laughs> <laughs> he did the well, uh, school too, for it's wonderful. Man. Princess and the Frog, I think. Toy Story. Which is quite good. What a movie. I did it. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And known from Toy Story and Short People. That's basically it. I think didn't he and do um didn't he do the Ron Howard film, uh Parenthood? I think he made one that. Oh my god, I don't know. Anyway, you next know much more about Randy, <laughs> Randy Newman than me do. Me do. The me do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if I have to give any details <laughs> for this one. It opened on May twenty first. Its opening weekend was sixty four million. It was twentieth century fox. And it was also number four on our list. Star Trek. Yeah, it was Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Remember, we're all out there. You're the Cylon. No, you're the Cylon. Uh, (laughs) The Matrix not one of the... Did the Matrix not get a top weekend? No, it didn't. It didn't make the top ten. I guess that was like under the... One that just kept cruising through. Yeah, Matrix kind of it got. I mean, I, I probably it was just a word of mouth movie or you. something. Yeah, it was the same with Six Sense. Six Sense was number one film for like five weeks in a row in 1999, but it it just crawled basically and kept on just demolishing, and it ends up being right. Oh, it ends yeah. up being like the second biggest film of the year, but it doesn't have the biggest opening weekend. Like Matrix ends up being the fifth biggest film of the year, and again, just just keeps building really. But um, it's weird that. 
the I, I like the biggest weekends things because it's not so much what the biggest films were, but what people were really anticipating. Like the biggest weekends tell you about marketing more than anything else. Mm. Um, and it's funny that like the biggest films coming out of that were stuff yeah. like you know mm. the world is not enough, that um oh Big Daddy and the stuff that survived in our kind of zeitgeist isn't the stuff really on biggest weekends. You know what? Imagine right. Imagine that it's nineteen ninety nine and there's like this trilogy called Star Wars that's like really good and you're really into it and you watch it when you're a kid and you really love it. You got the VHS. And then there's like a new there's like a new yeah, you got and you've the been VHS to the cinema the last like couple of years Star to watch Wars the re releases because they've been all they're, they're fun to watch in the cinema, but they've been tinkered with a little bit, but it's fine. It's still Star Wars. <laughs> Do you know what? They're so awful. <laughs> yeah, they are. Have you watched? Have you watched? The re- they're just—they're really bad. Like, there's nothing. Like, nothing gets better with any. Like, any of the new stuff. And there's like, I can't think of like a single thing that like improves any of the movies. There's a couple like, of times when he kind of drags the camera out a little bit to just kind of give you more breathing space and stuff, and little things like that. And some of the perspective in the first film, like he, he makes like the corridors of Death Star bigger and stuff like that. Which and I like think, Cloud City, they, they don't open need that to be up. there, but I can't criticize it. But like Cloud just, City, when, when you like... can actually see out of the Cloud City, so you can see that it's in the sky. And yeah. Not just like a... But the, when he just decides this is the scene where some CGI boogie is going to bounce along the screen and stuff like that, it's so pointless. It's, it's the Jabba the Hutt one that's awful. Yeah, the Jabba's the worst one. Yeah. It's like, no. No. No, there's, there's so much of it to me. Like Even those like extra kind of panoramic shots are the kind of thing that, like you know in an art book or like a dvd extra of like oh this is how we would have done it if we could have like that's all like really cool and interesting but when you put it in the film i'm just sitting there like like why am just... I, why are we spending all this time like you don't need you don't need to establish this shitty little desert town like that's that's the one yeah, that comes to mind when they arrive in Tatooine. and there's this huge like thing and like all this stuff and it's oh yeah mos eisley there's all this stuff going on and it's just a waste the of things time. i agree with is an absolute waste of time it's like there's a there's a reason why that shot wasn't longer in the original they could have just made that shot longer well, but they didn't the things i agree with like you cleaning know? it in the matte lines and stuff like that that's fine but it's when when you add a cg layer sure. to it and especially when sure. cg was in its infancy it just it just sticks out like a sore thumb. Do you know what I mean? Really it just does, does, yeah. doesn't work. Because yeah. they don't look... But anyway, of course, <laughs> I was going to say, of course, all of this is massively overshadowed by the awful, awful Phantom Menace that some people now are trying to, like, retroactively say isn't isn't actually as bad as people say. I defended say Phantom Menace to you the other night, but it's my defense of Phantom Menace isn't that it's good. My defense of Phantom Menace is it's the best of the three. <laughs> of a bad and bunch. The problem, with the, other, the problem with the other two is that, like... Yeah, but that's not... <laughs> the problem with the other... What I like yeah. about Phantom Menace is that it's George Lucas doing his thing. And what's the hate about the other two is it's so influenced by the fact of how negatively Phantom Menace was kind of... Um, kind of, you know, the fallout of it. And they, they're boring films, the other two, where... I mean, Phantom Menace is quite boring, mm, but at least yeah. it had something. It, 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 has it something, felt a bit it tactile. It that the others don't. It felt yeah, tactile. It's a, tactile. And it was on, also... a lot of it was filmed on real sets. It's not all blue screen, green screen stuff. And it's got a bit of hope to it as well. It's got. A, it's it's a it's a filmmaker looking forward to making something. It's a difference between yeah. the Lord of the Ring films and the Hobbit films. Like it's it's like it's. I feel well, yeah, like the first film George Lucas wanted to make and the other films... Well, people didn't. turned on him straight away, so the other two were made with him going, well, 
I know, and it feels like that. Like, it really feels <laughs> like that. Like, it's not to say Phantom Menace is good, it's just I think it feels nicer to watch than the other two. Yeah, I think that always drove me mad when people said that, like, Revenge of the Sith was actually good, yeah, and I'm like, nah, it's just got Darth worst. Vader in it. <laughs> it's like, you just one. see, you just hear that, like, and you think that it's yeah, good, yeah, apparently. Got the yeah, in it's head, like, hey! He did, he did the thing, but yeah, I mean, Phantom Menace, like, yeah, there's so many things to say about it, but I think for me, it's like, the first scene is like, two dudes sitting around a table talking about like a trade yeah, it's discussion. It's amazing. And then they jump up and it's like, lightsabers! It's like, okay, alright. It's like this, this text that tells you about blockade of like federation trading and stuff yeah. <laughs> and then the opening scene is two jedis oh there's more jedis there's not just obi-wan and they're like that, that is obi-wan and, and there's not just luke there's actually going to be a whole world of st- and they're sitting down having tea from a rover and then some droids attack for no reason and they bounce off the place you're like this is this is weird this isn't what i was expecting yeah. to happen it's weird. It's like the whole point of it is to like just kind of drive home the idea that the Jedi are, are actually shit and boring. <laughs> George hates like, the Jedi. <laughs> it's almost it's almost like it's almost that like that was the point that George Lucas was trying to make with this movie. But then that's the first that's the first scene. So we can we can say okay, that's a bad place to start. Maybe it goes somewhere good. But then we have the last scene, which in my mind is um, you've got little Anakin, his little rat tail, and you've got. <laughs> <laughs> with his little rat tail and you've got uh queen amidala i can't even remember the fucking character's name you've got queen amidala standing there looking at anakin going yeah <laughs> i'll have i'll have a bit of that <laughs> that's that's the man i'm gonna have babies with standing right, right there next yeah. to on that me. note i Child think that's baby. time to call today right. a wrap yeah. <laughs> Tune in uh, tomorrow where we'll be doing Phantom Menace rewatch. <laughs> Speaking of you terrible endings. Happen. We're going to do that. <laughs> Sorry, actually. guys. So, Liam, what are we talking about next time? Oh, I didn't even think. So, like, we finished the end of our uh, miniseries now. Um, Yay! <laughs> and we figured before running into the next one, before running into the next decade, we wanted to tie up some stuff. So, what we're going to do is go back to do one of our influencer series. So, like the way we did Kevin Smith, we're going to look at Bill Murray, but we're going to look at Bill Murray through his di- only feature he directed, which is Quick Change, which came out in 1990, I believe. Um, yep. So, our next episode will be Quick Change, where we're going to talk a bit more about Bill Murray. Uh, what someone like Cameron Smith, who was really influential to us. Uh, we're also then going to do a classics rewatch and we're going to dive in. We, we kind of talked about this in the podcast, so it's came out of the episode, but we're going to dive into <laughs> Batman forever, I think. And we're going to go and going to actually go back to that and see what the hell Batman forever is. And, <laughs> and uh, then, yeah, so that, those will be next two episodes, really. They might drop a bonus in between it where we do a bit of wrap up. So, um, Paul, thank you so much for coming. Like, and thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you. Where can people find you on the interwebs? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I would encourage people to not find me on the interwebs. <laughs> I don't put out anything relevant to anyone. Um, I will say, you know, if you enjoyed this free content, maybe maybe get on Steam and buy an indie game for full price. That sounds you know? good. 
Maybe, maybe, maybe next time, maybe next time there's a game on Steam that comes out, maybe just buy it instead of waiting for a sale. How about that? Maybe leave a review. Yeah. Speaking of review, three. maybe if you don't have any, if you don't have any money to spend, maybe if you have an indie game that you've played on Steam and enjoyed, maybe leave a review for it, say that it's good. Speaking of reviews, you can give us a nice review on the uh, Apple Podcast app. Uh, we're also on Spotify. Uh, we're on Twitter. We're at Adjust Your Track. That's a YR, not a your. Oh, we're on YouTube now. Follow Better Feeling on Instagram as well. Yeah, follow Better Feeling. That's mine. You can see some of my film exploits as well as stuff related to the podcast. And uh, yeah, that's it for today. So remember, if the pitch is bad, don't forget to adjust your tracking. <laughs>